3: New York and around the country. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks. My co-host, Speedy PD. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the L.I. News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports E-Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Speedy PD, what is going on, my friend? I'm doing
4: all right. We had a nice draft night out. And by the way, happy birthday. Thank you. Big four zero for you. But... Please, <laughs> jump off of
3: damn boat or something. A Mm -hmm.
4: boat? No,
3: there was a boat last year for your party, not this year. Alright, so I'll jump off a bridge. That'll end my life even quicker. Oh no (laughs) We don't want that 40 years old man 40 years on this earth What a terrible Terrible thing I'm just kidding You
4: have 15 plus Countries worth of it too That got Uh, to see all that I've been around
3: man Yes I've got my own places In different area codes How's that sound? There you go And probably Mm. calling Extensions too I would imagine Yes International phone numbers (laughs) International phone numbers Yes I did have an International phone number For a while When I was 26, 27 I had an international Phone and phone number for about a year and then obviously i changed it when i got back here but anyways Mm -hmm. we have a great show lined up for you guys we'll be talking to net's daily writer and reporter chris milholland he was on our show a couple of months ago actually yeah right at
4: the start of the season
3: (laughs) he's going to be joining us and he will not be doing the interview in an uber so that's a good sign (laughs) we'll talk about the good old brooklyn nets which i don't know how good are they anymore. They won the same
4: amount of playoff games as the Knicks did this year.
3: So now, uh, well, actually they won one game. They won the playing game. Oh, all right, technically. Well, they've won more than one more game than the New York <laughs> Knicks, but who hasn't? They're horrible. Maybe we should do what Julius Randle did and go scout players with World Wide West and Allen Houston. Maybe we should go to Dallas. Oh, I forgot. That series is over.
4: <laughs> Julius Randle could keep cheering them on.
3: You're right. He is from Dallas. And I expect Donovan Mitchell to be uh, a guy that the Knicks will be eyeing in the offseason and also Brunson, a guy that the Knicks are definitely going to be eyeing. I absolutely believe he's as good as a New York Nick up a Nick fan. He's having a fantastic playoff. And he's showing you why he could be a star point guard in this NBA. We're going to get into the NFL draft. Round one, round two, round three. As the New York Jets seem to keep winning each round very, very well. The Giants haven't lost either. Kavon Thibodeau is now a New York Giant. And Evan Neal, so we'll get into that. We will also get into baseball. The Mets throw a no-hitter a team no-hitter, which that's a new thing for the New York Mets. Mm -hmm. They have one no-hitter in their history, and that was from Johan Santana. And by the way, that shouldn't have been a no-hitter, but Carlos (laughs) Bell. Finally went
4: without controversy.
3: (laughs) Yeah, so they finally got a no-hitter. It wasn't Max Scherzer. It wasn't Jacob deGrom or Bassett. No, it was the young kid, McGill, and a bunch of bullpen arms, which you wouldn't expect for the New York Mets. So we'll get into that a little bit later as well. We'll get into the basketball playoffs, and obviously we will get into the first round of the nhl playoffs for the new york rangers not the new york islanders they're home hitting golf balls and getting ready for next season so if you're an islander fan i'm sorry i am an islander fan we're not going to see any islander hockey in the playoffs this coming year but why don't we get into the nfl draft and going into the draft you wanted to see growth you wanted to see the new york jets and the new york giants Being that they're positioned in such a good way in the draft, Jets drafting at four, the Giants at five and seven, and the Jets at ten, you expected the Jets and the Giants to get their guys and for those guys to fall to them. And there was stories before the draft that the Jets were very deeply interested in Debo Samuel, and that didn't happen on draft night. I've said this on our show on the Sports Loudmouths that I didn't think Debo Samuel was going to be a Jet. I really didn't see the 49ers losing their best offensive option via trade. But that doesn't mean that's not going to happen moving forward. But going into the draft, you expected the Jets to land on position players that they need to fill in holes. They're so very desperately needing The top 10 picks were so dead on where we had John Dagle on the show during the week. His draft picks were dead on all the way through. At number one, Walker went to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Was I surprised about that? No, because there was so much talk the last week and a half. Was it the right pick? We won't know that for the next couple of years. At number two... Aiden Hutchinson goes to his hometown, Lions. We all know how special he could be coming from the Michigan Wolverines, the playoffs where he didn't really show up. But nobody did for Michigan. He's still a fantastic player, one of the best players in the country. He was a Heisman Trophy candidate. At number three, this was a surprise. But throughout the last week, this was the story. And John Daigle said it, it. that the Texans were so very interested in this kid. Was he the best corner in this draft? Most experts say he wasn't. But Derek Stingley from the LSU Tigers goes to the Texans at number three. So the Jets were on the clock. And a lot of people, including yours, truly thought they were going to go after an offensive tackle. And as the minutes and the seconds went by, Roger, pain in the butt, Goodell, <laughs> walks up to the mic and reads off the card, shouts out, Sauce Gardner. As a Jet fan, you sit here and you say you'd be very, very happy. He's arguably the best corner in the last 10 years to be drafted. He gave up no touchdowns in college. One 20-yard catch his whole career in Cincinnati. And that's three years of college football as a starter. And when he was interviewed and they said, when was the last time you gave up a touchdown? He said, when I was 11 years old <laughs> in Pee Wee football. What does that tell you as a New York Jet fan? Where does this put the Jets moving forward, drafting Sauce Garner? Being that Tyreek Hill went to Miami, and you're going to have to see him two times every single year, fast, can run all different combinations of routes, they need a guy that can absolutely hug onto him and not give him any space. Sauce Gardner is the best one-on-one corner to come out of the draft in about six years. Now, we've seen this before. Darrell Rivas, draft day number two, announced the Jets' first, second round pick. This guy, Sauce Gardner, could be a shutdown corner, one of the best corners in the NFL, could really change everything speedy for the New York Jets.
4: This is a prospect that is very complete, and with the Jets drafting scenarios and draft rumors that we heard throughout the week, they did the best combination possible. I know the pass rusher was probably the biggest need, but they were eyeing Jermaine Johnson the whole time. So if they had that plan, this was the best thing to do at four. I know they were eyeing Aquanu as well, but this was much more of a need, but also a top player overall. I think Sauce Gardner, his position is better than Aquanu at his position. Judging the way the league is now, you need physical corners and there's none more physical corner in this draft than sauce Garner man coverage guy but also physical zone and now it allows Robert Sala to be able to use more man to man because they, they really couldn't do that a lot last year when they had all those injuries and the Jets secondary now is loaded at this point you have a guy that's a physical shot best young secondary in professional football yeah, it's scary now what they're going to be able to put together they need that kind of thing in that division with Tyree like you were saying like with Stefan Diggs and even with some of the head-to-head matchups they're going to be going against this season in the AFC North, in the NFC North, and if they do somehow get into the playoffs either this year or next year, whatever matchup they'll be facing is probably going to have a top receiver, so you need that shut down corner in today's game, and they nailed it.
3: They absolutely nailed it, and they know that in every single league, in every single division, you're going to have to play one of these top wide receivers, and the Jets didn't have to pay a corner in the offseason. They did. They didn't overpay for Reed. No. Reed was a good priced corner. Last year was one of the top five, top six corners in all of the NFL. On a Seattle team, secondary that was really garbage. The only good secondary player on that team was Reed. The Jets landed him in the offseason, and I don't think the Jets thought that Sauce Gardner was going to be here. The Texans, being at three, they were very interested in Sauce, really, till the last week, and then all of a sudden, it was Derek Stingley. I think the Jets were very excited. He was the number one guy on their board. That's what Joe Douglas said. He's always been their number one guy on their board. Having a player like this could change everything defensively for them, as far as blitz coverage and everything like that, that Robert Sala likes to play, he's going to be able to do that going into the season. And Joe Douglas believes with all the acquisitions they made in the offseason and also in the draft, he expects this team to be playing for the playoffs in December. I don't think they're ready for that. I think the AFC is stacked. But nevertheless, the Jets could really position themselves in the next year or the two years. They're the youngest team in the NFL. They have practically built their team on rookies in the last three years of Joe Douglas's drafting. Now, Makai Beckham's supposed to be a star, and obviously the Jets are not looking to replace him. So all those stories <laughs> coming out that they're replacing Makai Beckham, it was never going to happen. The Jets have not drafted an offensive lineman yet in the draft. I think that if you're a Jet fan, you should Be very excited for Sauce Garner. At number five, the New York Giants really surprised me. I thought they were going to draft this guy at seven, but I think a lot of people thought if they passed up on him at five, a team was going to jump over them to get him at six. Kavon Thibodeau, the star pass rusher, who a lot of people think could be the best player in this year's draft, fell to the Giants. You saw his athletic ability throughout the season on the Oregon Ducks. He's a fantastic personality, as you saw when he got called to the stage Hugging Roger Goodell, obviously being announced by a -A Make-A-Wish Foundation recipient. As a Giant fan, you should be very, very happy. Because the Giants could have the best player in this year's draft, Speedy.
4: Yeah, they have the scenario lined up perfectly where... If there was something weird in the top three that was bound to happen, then somebody was going to fall with that much upside. And I think the Giants did the right thing in terms of getting that first and then taking your pick of the tackles after that. Whatever one Carolina took, and they ended up going with Aquanu, the Giants were going to get the pick of the litter with Neal or Cross. Whereas Thibodeau, after that, especially with Walker and Hutchinson going at that point, it was going to be Jermaine Johnson or bust for the pass rush standpoint. And they clearly wanted Thibodeau first, prioritize that. His upside, a lot of our draft analysts have said, is the best in this draft and for a guy that has great explosive moves a well-rounded combination of pass rushing ability best pick the Giants could have made in this spot they've lacked that top pass rusher since their Super Bowl team's They've really had trouble finding a consistent number one guy, and now they're going to have that with Thibodeau. Now, the injuries are concerning with the Peck injuries, but most of those were minor in college. So the Giants will still have to manage He'll that be his fine. rookie year. Hopefully long-term, that's not an issue. The Giants are probably not going to be a playoff team this year anyway, so just be I careful with I think they will it. be. The
3: schedule is very fitting. It's definitely easy. I think they make
4: the playoffs. The only once. team
3: they should worry about, I'm not going to worry about the Cowboys. They lost a lot of pieces. Their draft has not looked good. But a lot of people didn't think that they were going to land on Micah Parsons, that they were very much right about Micah Parsons. So maybe the offensive tackle that they drafted late in the mid-20s is going to be the best tackle in this draft. I doubt it, because there's quite a few of yeah. them that are really, really good in the top ten. And by the way, all of them went in the top ten, yeah. which everybody expected. Quanu goes number six to the Panthers. And that's where I thought the Jets were going. Because everything that I read is that the Jets are having problems with Makai Beckham. The Jets just felt like he's not gonna be the answer moving forward as the organization top left tackle. I told Jet fans before this even I told this to Josh. Before this even happened, I like Iquano. If they get Aquano, I'm not going to be upset. it looked like Aquano didn't want to go to the Panthers because he didn't look very happy when he got, got his name called. I know he played in NC State. Yeah, I was going to say
4: local connection. I'm I gonna, don't think
3: he wanted I, to be there. I don't know how much I would buy into that. Every single team from 1 to 10, they didn't strike out. I think they hit home runs on every single one of their pick. And they're saying that this draft doesn't have enough depth. Next year's draft is so much better. You don't know that. Sauce Garner becomes a superstar all-pro player. Kavon Thibodeau becomes an all-pro superstar player. Iquanu and Evan Neal. We'll get into Evan Neal in just a second. Drake London or Garrett Wilson or even Jamison William. Aiden Hutchinson. This could come down as one of the best drafts ever. There's a lot of talent in this year's draft. And for anybody to say that this is a crappy draft, we heard it from John Daigle. I disagree. I didn't want to attack him when he was saying that. Next year's draft is so much better. They're only saying next year's draft is so much better it is because of the quarterbacks. That's it. And that's why everybody can't wait until next year's draft. Because look who's going to be available. There's like five, six great quarterbacks that could be available next year. And there was only one quarterback drafted in the first round this year. Has Malik? um, Yes, he
4: went to Tennessee. Malik Willis went to Tennessee. Went to the third round, right? Yep. Desmond Ritter went to Atlanta. Corral went to Carolina. All in the third round. But there was a a gap. I think it was 54 picks between Pickett and then Ritter was the second one off the board. Which I thought Malik was going to be the second one off the board. I think a lot of people were
3: surprised. But uh, I like where Ritter went. He went to a team, they have Marcus Mariota over there, so he's going to get to play behind a guy that plays just like him. Much more accurate, I think. The one strength that Marcus Mariota had when he went into the draft and he was a top pick was because of his accuracy. He was a great, accurate quarterback for the Oregon Ducks. So I expect him to help Ritter really grow as probably the future starting quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons, which I think he'll be a fun player to watch. I think he's going to be the best quarterback in this year's draft. So I think Atlanta got themselves a good fit quarterback in position of where they had him in the third round. But number seven, I wasn't surprised that Evan Neal was going to be called. He was the best offensive lineman going into this year's draft problem with him is a couple of weeks before the draft everybody was wondering why he lost weight some people said he had had knee problems over the last couple of years in Alabama there was stories coming out that a lot of teams were going to pass up on him because of his knee problems now the Giants are going to take a chance just as much as they took a chance with Kat Thibodeau because these two players could be elite players in the league the Giants need offensive line help I know they're going to move Evan Neal to the right tackle position because that's where he played in Alabama I say move him to left tackle position and move Thomas to the right tackle. They're not going to do that in the beginning because Thomas had a good year last year, and they're expecting him to really grow with the new coaching staff. But Evan Neal is one of the best tackles that we've seen come out of the draft in the last three years.
4: Yeah, and it's a compliment. Well, Andrew Thomas really improved last year as a pass blocker, and Evan Neal is kind of that bigger, that opposite type tackle. Yes, regardless of if they play left or right tackle, I think eventually they'll ease into it as well. You get a different type of style, too, with Evan Neal. He's more the old-school big mauler, but he also has good speed as well for somebody that his size, and that's why he was getting all this hype. Like Thibodeau, the Giants have to manage this injury if it is a big thing, but they get the best all-around talent which the Giants have needed for a decade. The Giants' last consistently good team offensive line was the 2009 season. Even the second Super Bowl team, they were trying to patch things together on that line. It was serviceable, but it wasn't ever great. This is the best tackle prospect they've had since that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> He's
3: definitely a better prospect than Thomas when yeah. they drafted him. This guy could be an all pro right tackle or left tackle in the NFL. He's that good. If he stays healthy, that's going to really be up to the Giants and Evan Neal's diet and what he is moving forward as an NFL player still a young player, very talented player, and we've seen a lot of good Alabama offensive linemen succeed in the NFL. The Giants really did win in day one at five and seven. At number eight, Drake London goes to the Atlanta Falcons. Not surprised. They like their big wide receivers, the big tight ends. They now have a basketball team over there (laughs) with Pitts and him. I mean, It's funny
4: because he was on the USC basketball roster two years ago.
3: (laughs) He's going to be fun to watch over there in Atlanta. Charles Cross, not surprised. Falls to Seattle. Usually, Seattle doesn't draft in the top ten because they they don't Trade back. They got, I believe, the best pass offensive lineman in this year's draft. They're going to need it because they don't have a quarterback. Yeah. At number 10, the New York Jets were on the clock. A lot of people thought the Jets were going to trade out of this pick. Some people were saying Jermaine Johnson. They loved him. They got, I believe, the best wide receiver in this year's class in Garrett Wilson. I know a lot of people all over social media are unsure about this pick. And Chris Olavi was drafted right behind him, his teammate. If you're a Jet fan, you should be ecstatic to get Garrett Wilson. 5'11", speed. Demon who can run every single Route you saw him in Ohio State You saw what he did in the national Championship two years ago This guy is as fun as and so energetic to watch on a football field, Speedy.
4: Yeah, there's really no major flaw in his game, either. The only thing was his size that people were worried about initially, but he also was very good with contested catches and breaking press coverage in college, too. So, any of those concerns, I don't really see as a big deal going into the NFL level. He's the best route runner in this draft. He's the best motion guy in this draft, and the Jets are going to use a lot of motion when it comes to getting the LaFleur shanahan offense to the best of its ability, too. They already have that with Elijah Moore, who can move around. Her- round and be used in motion in the slot, and Garrett Wilson is kind of that outside compliment to be able to do the same thing, and they're going to maneuver both of them around to the slot, too. It was a great pick for them. It's the best scheme fit for them, and they nailed that.
3: There was a couple of surprises in the first round. Jamison Williams was sitting there at number 12 after Chris Olave, and I knew that the wide receivers were going to come off the board in the top 20 because... There was only really five or six great wide receivers in this draft class. And they stood out. Garrett Wilson, Drake London, Jamison Williams, Dotson, Traylon Burks. There were three really big things that happened in the first round. At number 12, the Lions traded up. And I was very surprised. They traded up with Minnesota. Minnesota. And everybody thought they were going to draft a quarterback. Some people thought they were going to go after Kenny Pickett. And then some people thought Malik was going to be their guy. But no. At number 12, when Goodell goes up there, he reads out Jamison Williams. And am I surprised that Jamison Williams went 12 to the Lions? No. They need a wide receiver. I think Jared Goff was very, very happy because I think he thought he was gone after Kenny Pickett or Malik came up. Moving up all the way from 32 to 12, that's 20 spots. And they didn't give up a lot to move up 20 spots. No, it's just a
4: pick swap of the thirds and a second round pick. That's pretty good.
3: Jamison Williams falls to them, and I I think Jamison Williams is going to be a sensational wide receiver in this draft class. Some people said when he tore his ACL, he was going to lose his draft stock. Some people said he was a top 10 pick before he hurt his knee. He went down two spots. Jamison Williams is going to be a sensational wide receiver. At number 15, the Jets were calling every single team. They went from Texas to Washington to the Chargers to the Tennessee Titans. And then at 18, the Philadelphia Eagles were sitting. Me and Speedy were watching it together and there was a trade thing that popped up and I said, I
4: bet you it's A.J. Brown.
3: And then Speedy, I said, go look at Adam Schefter and what do you post it up?
4: Remember, I'm a Giants fan so I'm reacting as, oh my God, did A.J. Brown just go to the Eagles because <laughs> I already loved the Eagles roster as it was and all the draft capital they had and they needed a receiver. So,
3: and yeah. they get arguably one of of the best receivers in the NFL and A.J. Brown he gets traded Vrabel was not very happy when that happened he goes to the Eagles the Eagles really absolutely slam dunk this draft they got Jordan <laughs> Davis who some people say was the best player in this year's draft and they got N'Kobe Dean in the third round yesterday right. I know he had the injury yes. but still I was very surprised the Jets passed up on
4: yeah I would have still taken him anyway even with the injury just wait it out
3: he was the captain of arguably one of the best defensive teams of all time in college football one of the fastest that's for sure and one of the biggest but the A.J. Brown thing really just tore the giant fans hearts out because you're going to have to see a.j brown two times every single year for the next four years he signs a four-year extension worth about 100 million 25 a year that's something that he wanted and make sure that he's one of the highest paid wide receivers in the nfl and then the jets kept calling all the way to 26 and then finally the tennessee titans yes the same tennessee titans that traded away a.j brown traded with the New York Jets, and the Jets didn't give up much. They swapped third-round picks, and they gave up a second round. And the Jets draft Jermaine Johnson and really finished arguably one of the best first rounds we have seen, not only the Jets, but in the NFL in the last 10 years. You're talking about three top 10 players, arguably the best player in Sauce Garner going to the Jets. Garrett Wilson, who people say was The best wide receiver, all-around wide receiver in this draft class. And Jermaine Johnson, who was a top three pass rusher in this
4: class the Jets absolutely slam dunked the first round speed Jermaine Johnson was my number three pass rusher. I had him ranked ahead of Trayvon Walker. He was right at that class before David Ajabo got hurt too he was kind of in that range too where those were the supposed to be the next two speed rushers and then a drop off after that and the Jets are able to get him at 26 is absolutely. They insanity. were so surprised he was sitting there. Right. I think everyone was surprised he was sitting there because you look at all the teams that could have drafted an edge rusher in that teens range The Eagles, they love drafting edge rushers. They went Jordan Davis instead. The Titans, they definitely could have done that. The Chiefs could have done it. The Packers, the Ravens, love those types of edge rushers. So all those scenarios had to work out for the Jets to be able to get it to fall. Like you were saying, they've been relentlessly trying to trade back into the first round, and finally they get it done. That is an insane pick. And you were talking about the overall value. There's not many teams that get three first-round picks as it is. The Giants had it three years ago. Really, only one of them has developed nicely in Dexter Lawrence. The Vikings had it in 2013. Their picks were pretty good, but nothing to the level of what the Jets were. Three probably top 15, top 10 players in one draft. And you should be happy if you're a Jet fan because
3: if you were to ask who won day one, there's not even an argument. Yes. It was the Jets. And I would say number two would be the Eagles. Yes. With A.J. Brown, mm-hmm. Jordan Davis. I would say Baltimore would be the other team. Uh-huh. I like the, what the Chiefs did too. McDuffie and Karloftis too were both very good picks. Yes. I can't believe Karloftis fell as, yeah. as far as he did at number 30. And George Karloftis could turn out to be the best pass rusher in this very class. So. And the fact that he fell to 30, me. And if Jermaine Johnson came off the board, I I still think the Jets would have traded up and maybe drafted George Karloftis. I think the Jets absolutely fell in love with Jermaine Johnson at the pro day. What he did in the senior ball, which he was by far the best pass rusher in that game. Jermaine Johnson, who wanted to be a Jet, the Jets said to Jermaine Johnson, if they're in position to get him, they're going to go after him. He was very excited that the Jets moved up. Now, Why did he fall to 26? Nobody knows. Now, maybe it was his age, being that he'll be 24 when the season begins next year. I don't think that's a big deal because we've seen Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel came to the NFL at 23 years old. He's 26 now. He's played three years in the NFL, and he's been a sensational wide receiver, and he's got a lot of years left. First of all, Johnson doesn't have that much on his legs. Remember, he was on Georgia. He didn't want to play for Georgia. He went back into the transfer portal, and then he transferred over there for one year to Florida State and became a super, super superstar.
4: Could you imagine him on that
3: Georgia team. Mm. With that team, he was going to be a backup player on that Georgia team. I know. Team. He
4: would have got lost to that shuffle. But again, Split. Trayvon Walker also got lost to the shuffle and he still got number one overall.
3: <laughs> this is going to be a really fun thing to watch. Kevon Thibodeau, Jermaine Johnson, Aiden Hutchinson, and obviously Walker And even Jordan Davis, what they're going to do in their NFL careers as they move forward. Quickly, before we go to break, in the second round, I think the Jets had a slam dunk. And by the way, they traded with the Giants to move up a couple of spots. (laughs) The Giants traded back twice. (laughs) Yes, which I was very surprised. But that was a smart move by the Giants. Yeah, except I didn't like the pick after that. Wondell Robinson. I thought that was too early. The Jets got Brees Hall, who arguably was the best running back in this draft class. Some people said was mid-first round draft pick. So just think about this. The Jets got... Four players that were arguably the best players at their position throughout this draft. Garner, some people say, was the best player in this draft class. He went four to the Jets. Garrett Wilson, people say, was a little bit better than every single wide receiver in this draft class. He goes to 10 with the Jets. The Jets move up and get Jermaine Johnson, who some people say was a top three pass rusher in this draft class. They get him at 26. And then early in the second round, the Jets... Somehow move up with the New York Giants, which I I don't know why the Giants are helping the Jets. They move up a couple of spots and get arguably the best running back in all this draft in Brees Hall. If you're a Jet fan, you should be ecstatic. Even if they don't draft anybody else in this draft class. By the way, they got a pretty good tight end in the third round as well. Long Island native, Ruckert. A nice fit over there. Jeremy Ruckert, who who played for the Ohio State Buckeyes, was a top five tight end in this draft class and he fits their mold and he's going to play with Garrett Wilson. He grew up a Jet fan. The Jets loved him in the pro days.
4: Local kid. Lindenhurst guy. Gotta like it.
3: <laughs> Even if they don't land on any other players in this draft class, the Jets won.
4: As far as the Giants are concerned, you didn't like Robinson, I don't hate him as a player. I just thought it was too early. He's an undersized gadget type receiver, fast guy, but I just thought it was too early in the second round. There are two third round picks I thought were solid, nothing special. Joshua Azudu. Azudu, and then he's actually really good. Yeah, and yeah. Some people say yeah, he's no, a second I, round I, talent. I thought it was a decent pick, a good value for the third round. They could definitely use the offensive line depth at number eighty one. They went with Cordell Flott, a smaller slot corner type, who I think is a good player. I think there were just better values at that time. Wondell Robinson, I thought in the second round was definitely a reach. There were a lot of other good receivers left if they wanted a receiver, so I was surprised. And like I said, Desmond Ritter, who I think
3: is going to be the best quarterback in this draft class. We've seen what Lamar Jackson has done and how special he is. Desmond Ritter might not have the accuracy of a Marcus Mariota, but playing behind Marcus Mariota, he's the same prototypical type of quarterback. I think it's going to be very, very fun to watch watch this kid grow in the next two, three years, and I expect him to be fantastic for the Atlanta Falcons. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll get into our very special guest. We will be talking to Nets daily writer and reporter Chris Milhollin here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy PD, remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Well, 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 we finally get him on the show again. It's been a while. We are now talking to Nets Daily writer and reporter, Chris Millholland. What's going on, Chris?
5: What's up, guys? Yeah, it's better to be back at home talking. You guys that meant like, really just smashing the back of a Civic, so that, that <laughs> definitely helped out.
3: Well, the last time my sister was in an Uber, she got into a car accident and broke her ankle because he backed up really? into a telephone pole. Yeah. Could you imagine Uber driver back into a All telephone pole? Right, what, ci- what city was this in? New York. I think it was in Farakaway, if I'm not mistaken. She was going to Queens. She I'm was- telling you, man, those Uber drivers, they're wild sometimes, man. Especially when they get a lot of trips, too. They'll push the limit. Maybe they're just talking to you about sports and they lose control of their car. Maybe they're Nick fans and you, you pissed
5: them off. Oh, I've gotten plenty of those. They're like, oh, why are you leaving this place? I'm like, oh, I work here. So why don't
3: we get into the Nets? They get swept in embarrassing form. Kyrie Irvin really didn't have anything smart to say after the game. He says he wants to help manage the team when we don't even know if he's coming back next year. Now, he says that he wants to be there. He wants to be a net for life. He also said that with the Celtics. Where do you see Kyrie Irving going in the offseason? Do the Nets offer him that contract, which they waived after the COVID situation?
5: I think they give him something, right? It doesn't matter on the years or whether it's going to be a supermax. It's not going to be super supermax. I can tell you that much. I'll be shocked if it's a supermax outside of that. I would imagine that they probably pair it up with Kevin Durant. So it'll probably be a three, four year deal. And then, I'd imagine that the Nets would probably gain some leverage in that situation, too, and probably make a team option instead of a player option. So I'd imagine that's the same pair. And then I would say the team option will probably go into a year when Kevin Durant's out of the contract, especially since Irving publicly said multiple times he wants to finish his career there. So obviously, when you think about Kevin Durant, for example, at that point, when he gets out of his contract, he'll be 36-37. Then you look at kind of like Kyrie, he's obviously younger. He's only 30 right now. So if you give him a four year, he'd be 34. And at that point, you know, a lot of people speculate that Kyrie Irving may be that one guy that retires at 35, 36, just because he hasn't played 60 games in a season. A lot of people say his head's not completely at basketball. They're definitely going to come to an agreement on a deal. It's not going to be a one-year deal or a two-year deal. I can imagine they're going to match it up with Kevin Durant's extension.
4: Now, do you think they're exclusively just a package deal, like they're going to be in on it together or nothing, or can you see it where maybe one guy goes and they go after a different superstar player or trade for another guy with whatever limited stuff they have left? Do you think they're attached to the hip, or do you see another scenario?
5: I think they're attached to the hip unless something
4: happens in a regular season. The
5: roster construction, especially what they did after the deadline, James Johnson didn't give him good minutes, but he could have really been needed in that Boston Celtics series with size and length, trading one of their best. 3D and D wings and DeAndre Bembry. That was a big miss on their, what they had when they were match against the Celtics. Ball handling. They didn't really have a good ball handler, especially with Goran Drogic, that played a lot of minutes. That could have been Javon Carter, who they also waived and he signed with Milwaukee. There's going to be a lot of room for improvement on this roster, and they're definitely going to make a lot of big changes. I can imagine that there might be a trade or two that's going to be surprising, especially because they know, too, like Kevin Durant, even though he's locked in for the foreseeable future, he's at that age or that age point where he's coming out of his prime. Father Time. Don't get me wrong, this is Kevin Durant. He was shut down the Celtics series. But in the regular season, he was, he was dominant. Add that all up, I really do think that Kyrie and Kevin Durant definitely tied at the hip. But at the same time, anything could happen with this team. I wouldn't be surprised if one of them does go a year or two down the line.
3: Steve Nash, really outcoached by a rookie coach. He hasn't looked good the last two years. He looked like he was in no man's land last year against Milwaukee. Where do you see them going this offseason? Do they keep Steve Nash or they decide to part ways with him?
5: I think it depends on who's available and what the coaching pool looks like. Right now, there's only three head coaching vacancies. And the same names are hovering around the same positions. You got Mike D'Antoni, who's kind of surprising. He was a Nets assistant on the staff there. And I would imagine that if he maybe came in, Steve Nash would take an assistant job. There'd be kind of like a little bit of a demotion, but he'd stay on the team. That's probably the worst case scenario for Steve. I think his job's pretty secure, especially Mark Stein reported it. Steve said himself, hey, I want to come back. You got the superstar stamp approval from Kevin Durant last night. It's not like Kevin Durant's going to say, hey, I don't want him here. <laughs> and Kevin also, if you read between the lines and see how he said, he kind of took the question a little bit disrespectfully. because, like, dude, I just got sw- in a first round series. You asked me who the head coach is going to be next year. He had like that type of attitude to it with Steve, in the NBA, there's third year windows at that when you enter that third year window, you're either gone or you're in And Steve's hit that window. But at the same time, he's a lot of built-in excuses. Like you could say what he wants about like the coaching side, the adjustments, lack of rotations, experimenting so much throughout this regular season with the players that they had. But at the same time, you can't underline what he's really just dealt with from COVID-19 outbreaks, the whole Kyrie Irving saga with the vaccination, Kevin Durant's MCL sprain, And you just go back to the net last year, too, with those same kind of factors. No other coach in the NBA would have dealt with that the way that, Steve Nash would have like think about it you think like if you had Mark Jackson in those shoes when Kyrie Irving was going on with the vaccination status Mark <laughs> Jackson would have just blew down a couple doors it would be pretty rough plus you gotta remember like Steve also played with Sean and Phoenix there's that connection there and at the end of the day he got really outcoached by a guy that literally was on his staff last year that's why he got outcoached so bad because Steve doesn't make that many adjustments and
4: especially Ime, who's really his defensive coordinator last year just outschooled him on all avenues we've seen this experiment where they've gotten Kyrie and Kay Katie- And then try to bring in a lot of veterans look a lot like what LeBron used to do in Miami and sometimes in Cleveland, too. It seems like in the NBA, it only seems to work with LeBron teams. So Mm -hmm. do you think the Nets at this point are stuck trying to do that again and try to duplicate it? And with this underwhelmingness this season for the Nets and even the last two years, do you think teams will shy away from doing that across the league?
5: I think teams will definitely start shying away from it a little bit. But at the same time, luxury cap does go up each year. It doesn't go up a lot, but it goes up a couple million. It goes up 10, 15 million next year. I think it's going to be 10, 15. It's one of those things where if you're going to pair superstars, like if you think about James Harden, Joel Embiid, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, they got to complement each other very, very well. That's the only way it's going to work. And especially with Kyrie and Kevin Durant, two guys that really just need the balls in their hands to just really be effective. They've worked well off each other, but at the same time there's so many iso ball. At one night you got Kyrie Irving dropping 60, next night you got Kevin Durant dropping 40. There's never like a nice little collective effort out of both of them where they drop 20 each or 30 each or stuff like that. It's always his night or Durant's night. And then when you have signed those max contracts, especially like Ben Simmons, for example, he's sucking up a lot of money sitting on the bench. (laughs) Once you have that, you got three maxes. Your your depth's not going to be that good. You got of really, kind of work with your budget. That's why they had a lot of vets like Drogic, Blake, Lamarcus, and all those guys joined the team lake to go rain chasing. But you know, it's like one of those things that I don't see a lot of teams going away from it. But at the same time, if you're going to go away from that, you have to have a really good draft core that you draft and kind of build up through the draft.
3: You have to like Ben Simmons' outfits, at least.
5: <laughs> I mean, that looks like a pack of Skittles, man. <laughs> like, it's just like insane. Like, I'm just like. Don't get me wrong. I feel for the dude on the mental side. You got all that aspect to it. But the thing is, the Nets handled that so poorly. Yes, they like, did. They kind of handled it worse, mm-hmm. if you really think about it. Because you hear from the start, it's like, okay, he's aiming for a game four return. Mm-hmm. As long as there's no setback. He wakes up one morning. He's got back soreness. He takes himself out. Then the reports come out about a mental aspect. We asked Nash about it. And Nash goes, hey, there's a mental component. So there's like <laughs> so many different facts. Then you add the grievance thing with the Sixers in the equation. Players can downplay that as much as they want as that not being a distraction, but it is a distraction.
3: We are talking to Nets Daily writer and reporter, Chris Milholland. Chris, Sean Marks, he's been there for Mm -hmm. a little while. He traded away practically their future for James Harden. It didn't work out with James Harden. This same thing happened with Billy King when he traded away their future for an old Kevin Garnett, an old Paul Pierce, and an old Jet. It didn't work out. It went one series. If this doesn't work out now with this Ben Simmons thing next year, you have to fire Sean Marks. This is uncalled for. You traded away. Your future, you had Harris. You had all these different guys. You had all these great young players. And then you just throw them away for a superstar player that obviously doesn't want to be there and can't stay healthy. Does Sean Marks keep his job if they fail next year?
5: Well, really what it comes down to is in a superstar-driven league, especially when you got Kevin Durant as your main superstar, and you go across the league, superstars got a lot to say. And obviously, when a guy like James Harden pops up the market, I can imagine Sean Marks went in and see what the value was. But at the same time, it was Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving that pushed the needle on it and made sure the deal was done they said, hey, we can mortgage our whole entire future until 2027 if you really want. And that's what they did with the first round picks. You could tell, too, because if you looked at how the nets were run when Marks got there in 2016, 2017, and then all that year of just building up, they went from 20 wins to 40 wins, 42 wins, obviously the D'Angelo Russell era on that time. And then when you got Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Kenny Atkinson all of a sudden gone. He didn't really have a fair chance at all. He didn't get the coach a healthy roster with Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving on it. Well, together as a unit, Steve Nash was brought in. Kevin Durant worked with Steve and Golden State as a player consultant back in 2017 when they won a championship together. That's the main impact. Really, this is like a whole type of I want to say a memo to like an NBA GMs. But there's a limit where it comes to giving a lot of players power to let the guys that are in those chairs do their job. Because we could see what happens here is especially Sean, he was very conservative about the Nets' future for years. He's always I'm not mortgaging my future, I'm not doing this. But at the end of the day, when James Harden pops up on the market, James Harden's not gonna come at a cheap price at all, especially when he was coming off those Rockets years. You know, he had he showed up overweight and everything, but he's still gonna have high value. But if Sean Marks can't deliver a championship in these next two, three years, two, three years. I'd say next year that's a stretch too. If you don't even get it done next year, or even like you're not even good standing next Mm. year, if you enter the playoffs seven, eight, like obviously, like I said before for this team has so many built-in excuses that he could throw around with injuries, COVID, vaccine mandate. If you even want to throw that as an excuse. His seat's a little hot. I want to say it's hot, but
3: it's hot. One of his best picks was Karis LeVert, like I was saying. Yep. He's turning into a star. I know he had that heart problem. He trades him. He goes to Indiana. Now he's playing with Cleveland. You traded all those young pieces away. That was something Jared that he...
5: Allen. Yes. Literally is on the cusp of being an all-star. One of the best <laughs> young ring defense. Like, I'm telling you, man, it's it's poetic. It's, it's really poetic, man.
4: Yeah. <laughs> oh my God! it
5: sounds like oh, the right. nets it never a dull day in this seat
4: i'll tell you that so you're talking about player power as a whole and james harden was still on the nets the last time we had you on the show what do you think was the biggest reason for that whole fallout the way it happened so quickly because james harden was traded literally in january of that year 2021 to the Nets. all of a sudden literally about a year later he wants out again so what do you think was the biggest fallout between james harden and those other core players even some of the other veterans
5: no players are going to say but it's kyrie irving's availability at that time that's the main ticking point of the whole thing because at that point he couldn't play home games there was no movement at all about the vaccine mandate getting lift and obviously when you have the nba trade deadline which was february 11 think about it, the mandate got lift like a month later but at that point it's like okay this team hasn't played together at all they were struggling at that point james Harden was also out kevin durant was leading a bunch of rookies and obviously those rookies two of them couldn't even play in the postseason unless they have their contracts lift to a standard deal and you look across the board you know just the rotations nash experimenting as well putting out different lineups and different pieces like Like, Nash put out James Johnson, Andre Drummond, and Blake Griffin on the floor together. James Harden's probably sitting on the bench like, man, like, Daryl Morey, what you up to? It was that hard of experimenting there. It was definitely Kyrie Irving's availability, because if you don't have Kyrie Irving, then you got that, obviously, with James, too. He made it a big point coming to Brooklyn that, hey, I want to come here, but I also don't want to be that have to score 30, 40 points a game. in that whole entire year when he was on the Nets, he was demanded of that. That's what they really needed at that time. Obviously, they had Kevin Durant on the floor, which alleviates a little pressure. But when you really just dive into it, James was, like, down. 995, like right down there. Who is uh, who we got? Philly, we got Joel Embiid, a bunch of shooters. Reminds me of the Rocket Days. Well, they got a core together. You can say what you want about Doc Rivers. I don't know how he feels about Doc. You Can't know. stand him. I think he's gone too. So <laughs> I think Dan Tony takes that job too. That's like scripted. It's it's going to happen. But that's kind of my answer in a nutshell. It's definitely Kyrie Irving's availability. No one's going to say it, obviously. But yeah, it was that.
3: Chris, this offseason is going to be very interesting for a lot of the New York teams with the Knicks. You heard the Knicks were over there in Dallas and you had Julius Randle scouting. Julius Randle Mr. Bricklayer himself is scouting. Jalen Brunson's a free agent next year. Donovan Mitchell wants out of Utah. When you look at this offseason, and it's not a good free agent offseason, where do you see the Nets going? Even with these trades that you're saying that they might surprise the world and make a trade, what's out there where they can make a trade that can make this team that much better?
5: I think it's going to start with Wings, right? I could imagine they're going to probably inquire on like an OG and an OB type player, you know, some 3 and D guy that's probably going to be on a little bit of a cheaper side. You give Seth Curry maybe a first, their last first of 20 20- 2028 20, or whatever the case is and then you look at the other side of things you're going to look at the buyout market when that time comes the nets are always aggressive then that's obviously in march that's well after the offseason and then they don't have any picks as well so i can imagine they may make a draft day deal just to get a player or even get a third team in a deal to receive a player back then you look at like other avenues even though the nets have had two disappointing years kevin durant kyrie irving is attractive for a lot of players especially in a big new york market where obviously you have the endorsements. You obviously live in the city. You know, you get all those extracurricular stuff that come with the position. It's definitely a little bit of attractive. Like I've heard that from a lot of guys too. Like I remember I was texting Jamal Crawford and he was telling me too, he's like, yeah, like that attracts a lot of people, especially like in New York, LA, you know, big market teams. Mm-hmm. So it does attract. So when you think about this Nets team as just a whole, it's one of those things that you don't have much value in Ben Simmons. Yeah, you know, a lot of people think that Ben Simmons could get flipped, but what team is going to really take that on? What are you really going to get in return? Because there's a lot of money on that deal. Field, the guy who hasn't played, you got obviously all the other stuff that comes with that package, that's not gonna to be too out either. So you really have to start looking at your outside piece. You gotta look at Joe Harris, you gotta look at Seth Curry, you gotta look at like all these other guys. It'll be interesting, but I think they do make a couple small splashes, but at the same time, it's the Nets. Sean knows his title windows closing.
3: We are talking to Nets Daily Writer and Reporter Chris Millholland. You mentioned Ben Simmons again, and it's so funny. How does this man who's making a ton of money right now in the NBA, and I'm not trying to be rude and I'm not trying to throw him under the Bus. this guy's suing Philadelphia for $20 million he didn't play at all this year he has a lot to say on and off the court not only to Doc Rivers but some of the players Joel Embiid said get him out of here I don't want to deal with him anymore he's very hated in the NBA right now a lot of people don't want to play with him how could you sit here with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving the offseason and say listen we're going to give you a healthy Ben Simmons by the way he didn't even want to step on the court in the Celtics series to help us out we're going to bring him in and we're going to make a nice trade and bring another decent player player in to help you guys out and we're going to win a championship next year with the team that we have. How could you sell that to Kevin Durant after being swept for the first time in his career in an NBA playoff series?
5: It's all about trust you know especially with Kevin. This is the same guy that when Ben Simmons was straight hopped on the phone with him talked about everything and you know he's the leader of the franchise And with Kevin too it's like with Kevin he knows that even if you were put this roster even next year and you had a full healthy roster that team couldn't even get past the second round in my opinion. The roster construction is just really bad. So when you have to sell these type of things to free agents. Agents and trust. It really comes down to that's Kevin Durant, that's Kyrie Irving. At the same time, we know what could happen if in New York with vaccination mandates, if obviously COVID comes back and the waves come back. With Kevin Durant, obviously, he's had a couple seasons in a row now where he's had injuries, he's missed at least 20 games as well. It's hard to sell, but at the same time, I think a lot of a lot of guys would be intrigued to go for it because with Ben, it's one of those things you just don't know what's going to happen. It's like the fit, for example. Like last time, I was talking about like when Ben Simmons arrived at the Nets. I was like, I got to see how it works out before I could even make a guess because they could put him in the post, they could make him facilitate, rebound, push and transition. Just your overall number one guy that you put on the opposing team's best offensive weapon. Right. He's going to plug a lot of holes if he does play, and if he does actually string together a lot of games here. But this team's just a big what if team what if Kevin Durant was healthy what if Kyrie Irving got the jab what if Ben Simmons played you know it, what if they don't wear any cool. underwear during the game I would yeah. rule that out of Kyrie
3: Irving
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh man so, Brooklyn Nets. So, is there a player that maybe is not as talked about that might be available in the offseason? Whether it's a star player, or whether it's a good role player that you think would be realistic for the Nets to acquire? It's so tough.
5: I honestly do think this team's going to be in a big house cleaning situation. And they're really going to just start from the outside and build around KD here. When you have a guy like Ben Simmons, for example, like if it's going to be a star, Ben Simmons has to be in that deal because he can't afford it. The luxury tax is already through the roof. It really depends on what team's going to take that on. If Donovan Mitchell really shoves himself out, are you going to want to put Kyrie Irving and Donovan Mitchell together? Or are you going to put Kyrie Irving off the ball and have Donovan as a primary ball handler? They're both real shooting guards at the end of the day, so I don't think they're going to correlate well. And then you have Kevin Durant as well. It's one of those things that you just kind of really just see out what happens. I thought it's a stretch here. You got to look at what DeAndre Ayton's availability is. Obviously he's going to want a huge deal, but think about it. if you're in his shoes and Phoenix denies you an extension signs Landry Shamit over you. Phoenix is good, built on continuity. It's really up in the air. It's really what can the Nets gauge with the tools that they have in the uh, because they don't have a lot of tools
3: at all. They're in a sticky spot. Chris, we really appreciate you joining us. You're awesome. We only hope for the best with the Nets. Pfft, not a chance. <laughs> well, at least, like, I'm a Nick relax. fan. I know with this team, it's always like in the off season, you're out, you're with your boys, and it's yeah. just like, bang. Look at it the best way you could look at it. You don't have to go to the games anymore. You can sit in the bar, hang out with your boys, and not deal with the crap that you have to deal with after the game. So that's well, a good told
5: the boys, if Raptors force a seven, we're in Philadelphia. That's all, we already <laughs> got the tickets. We got the refundable tickets. <laughs> <laughs> on the insurance too so we're starting well, early no well, time to waste
3: well hopefully james harden actually starts to play because sometimes i think he's in la la land half the yeah. time when well, the playoffs we, know, we know
5: how he is in the playoffs. he's, he's now the world.
3: third option
2: okay. <laughs> it's yeah, unbelievable exactly.
3: that Maxi becomes the number two option he's the third option when this guy's a superstar player it comes from houston and yeah, by the way he's a choke artist when
5: you look at all those guards mm-hmm. that have been aggressive getting to the rim like think about it, a brandon jennings mm-hmm. a derrick rose all those guys that really played physical. All they played always with the Knicks.
2: The,
5: yeah, always, <laughs> they always have their collapses when they're in their early 30s, and that's where James Harden is right now. When you throw your body around like that, constantly bang, bruising up a lot of defenders, you're not going to hold up forever. And, you know, I think that's what's happening with James Harden right now.
3: Go ahead, throw the Knicks under the bus. Go ahead, throw it what deeper. Knicks? Dig them deeper. It's a hole. It's six what? feet under. What? That was what Phil was Jackson's D-Rose? fault. I that was
5: love you. <laughs> your Knicks are in good standing. It's just that Leon's got to make a couple more appearances. I've seen that guy, like, twice. I've seen Rob Polinka <laughs> more than him. We have Worldwide West. I haven't seen him either. He was holding up the jersey when he was signed. He was hanging out with Julius Randall at the Dallas game. <laughs> I saw that, and I was like, they didn't even like cut it at the camera either. They had the little imbalance. I'm like, there's no way. What true. the hell is Julius Randall doing over there in Dallas? I know he Dallas lives there. there. Like he has an off season home. On. What are you doing? It's like a, it's so fresh after the season, too. It's like you couldn't wait. Go it's, to like a conference finals and like
4: go sit in like the fourth row and hope the camera doesn't get out. It is an
3: absolute. He's trying to
4: find a way to get traded there, and then just get traded out of there again like Porzingis did. Let's talk won that point. trade. They got the
5: boy Dinwiddie down there and you know he's thriving. Yeah. Same yeah. With Brunson. And but the Knicks they're gonna, lose they're going to
4: regret not paying Brunson
3: that cheap extension. I yeah. believe Jalen Brunson will be a Nick next year. I absolutely believe that. You want him? I'll take him. They need a point guard. What, what are you giving him? I think the Knicks it's are probably right? it's it's probably between 70 and 80 million that's what he's going to get. And with Donovan Mitchell, they're going to have to trade probably Julius Randle to bring him in. Depending on how bad Donovan wants out, you guys have leverage, you know what absolutely. I mean? So it's not going
5: to be a package where they're Going to command R.J. Barrett, for example. You know, they're not like, getting him. No, it's going to be like Julius, Alec Burks. Maybe a first or two.
3: Well, I'm looking forward to that. Thank you, Chris. Tell the fans how they can find you on social media. See Mill and SB on Twitter.
5: The works on Nets Daily. That's pretty much it, dude. I don't got <laughs> I don't got too much, dude. I'm just living out here.
3: Well, we really appreciate you joining us. We'll get you on very, very soon. Whatever Do- you want me on, you know how to reach me,
5: you know how to text. Do your thing. All and right. Hopefully I'm not gonna be in the back of smacked in the back of a Camry or whatever the heck Well, you, you know, know, know
3: what? what? The next time you see Kevin Durant, tell him to take his Game worn underwear and sign it for Speedy. He wants to frame it in- No, now I would burn he it. <laughs>
5: He wants it. I'm looking at his little green screen
4: back there. I'm thinking that's Fenway, isn't it?
3: That? that is
5: Fenway, yes. yes,
3: it is. Oh man.
4: It's funny. We actually had a guest about two months ago that actually thought I was in Boston because of that.
5: <laughs> oh, really? Yes. yes. Get out of there. Dude, you know Boston fans too. They'd be
3: chucking any can at you up there. Yeah. Be- We're hearing all the abuse from Boston fans all over social media to me saying that, ah, the Yankees, they're disgusting. <laughs> I've got a
5: fair share of Boston in the past three days. Everyone's just, like, sending, like, just random, just,
3: it's like, God, what are we doing? You here? heard it right here. The Brooklyn Nets writer says he was in Boston, and they treat you like garbage. So there oh, you go.
5: Lord. Well, listen, Boston, they got some good homegrown beer up there, I'm telling you. That's the one good thing about it. Did you, you bring know? your raincoat? <laughs> Oh, hell no. hat's going to be good enough. You know, beer warms you up. <laughs> that's it.
3: Oh, thank you, Chris. Yeah, we really that. appreciate you. No man. problem, boys. If you need me, let me know. Absolutely. Christopher the Great. Yes. I love what he had to say about his Nets. Usually when a writer comes on the show, they're always sticking up for the team that they're writing for. He did not sound like he was very excited about the offseason and where this team is going. So if you're a Net fan, you'll like his sarcasm and his personality, as we heard Chris Mill Holland. We'll have him on the show again later in the offseason. Fantastic, fantastic <laughs> interview.
4: I like the part where he said, uh, some of my Uber drivers have been Knicks fans, too. He's like, why are you coming back from there? He's like, I work here.
3: <laughs> <laughs> when we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into the NBA and what we think of the first round and where the second round is heading. Joel Embiid could be out a significant amount of time with an audible fracture. That's not a good sign for Philadelphia if they have any chance against Miami, yeah. losing their best player. When we come back, we'll get into Philadelphia, we'll get into the Celtics series, and so much more here on The Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host. Speedy Petey. Remember, to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Houston Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. The NBA playoffs. Wonderful. All the top seeds advance. All you Net fans that wanted the Nets to advance, including yours truly, wanted to see the Celtics get eliminated, just absolutely got abused. In the first round, you heard from our great guest, Chris Millholland what happened and what his thoughts are going to be in the offseason for the Brooklyn Nets. But throughout the first round, Phoenix got all they can handle. And I was very surprised that Devin Booker came back as early as he has. With an injury like that, a hamstring injury of that magnitude, and a first-degree hamstring injury like that, you expect him not to play in the last two games of this series. And I was wrong. It really wasn't even about Devin Booker. It was about Chris Paul. This is Chris Paul's team. I've told everybody this. You could say whatever you want about Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. Ayton might not even be on the team next year. I think the Phoenix Suns will extend him because Chris Paul is there, and he's like a little brother to Chris Paul. But Chris Paul needed to step up, and boy, oh boy, in the final two games of this series, he did. And he did everything he had to to put the team on his shoulders to win these games and knock off the Pelicans, who have a very good future. C.J. McCollum. Fantastic talent. He didn't have Williamson, who is going to possibly be there next year. I know everybody thinks he's going to be a Nick. I doubt it. He missed a whole season. When they get him back and the players and the depth that they have over there, they're going to be fantastic. They knock off a great Pelicans team that really showed you what they could be in the future. Dallas knocks off a Utah Jazz team, which... I don't know what's going on with that team and that organization. Donovan Mitchell speaks out at the end of the game when he gets eliminated, saying that he's got to do more, he's got to be better. I don't know how much better he could be. Averaged almost 25, 26 points a game in that series. He was the point guard. He was the offensive talent. He was the defensive player at the perimeter. I don't know what you expect him to do more of, but
4: he might not be doing it on the Utah Jazz, Speedy. No, it seems like they just really looked, they just said, they looked distracted by all this bad press that they've been getting throughout the season. Because remember, they were underwhelming throughout the season, too. They were supposed to be a top-three seed in the West again. I had to really fight even just to get up to five. There was Denver in the range, at, at, who finishes the number 16. Minnesota was climbing at certain points. They were a top-four seed. They just really looked distracted, and they're a deep team. They were a good defensive team. They're a team that moves the ball, and they didn't show it all series long.
3: I think Utah is going to be looking in the offseason at even getting better, or trading away pieces where they can rebuild. And that means Donovan Mitchell, who he hasn't said it, but his agent and his team have said that he is not happy over there and he wants out, which means there's a very good chance there might be a team in New York that'll be very interested in him. And
4: no, it's not the Brooklyn Nets.
3: No. It is the Knicks. He grew up a Knicks fan. I expect the Knicks to go heavily after him in the offseason. They're not very happy that the Knicks showed up to one of the Dallas games. (laughs) They have reached out to the NBA and Adam Silver and Adam Silver's going to investigate this. The Knicks could be fined because they could be talking to a player that they shouldn't be talking to as the season progressively is going on. But Donovan Mitchell's still under contract and the only way the Knicks could talk to him is if the Utah Jazz allow him to talk to them. So I don't know what's going on with that, but it doesn't seem like anything good. I think the Utah Jazz will fire their coach in the offseason. Yeah. I think Donovan Mitchell could be on his way out. I yeah. really do. And there's also
4: some rumors that he was probably going to take the Spurs job after Popovich retires.
3: Golden State in Denver. I'm not surprised this series went the way it did. Porter not playing. Murray not playing. They had no chance. Uh, You have to give a lot of credit to Boogie Down Cousins, who played a fantastic (laughs) game in game number five. Did all he can to keep this team in it. Joker, fantastic player. MVP candidate every single year. Uh, he put the team on his shoulder. The fact that they were a six seed throughout the season with n- no depth, nothing on that team. You have to give them a lot of credit to, to be where they were. And they played a Golden State Warrior team that just has too much talent. It's it just a loaded team. And now they're going to be going into a, a series against Memphis who are much more acrobatic, much more athletic, can keep up with the Golden State Warriors, m- much better defensive team. Then the Denver Nuggets are. That's going to be a fun series. Shout out to Minnesota. They had a very good year. They were the best offensive team in the NBA. You can't attack them. But when you had a chance to win two games in this series and you were up by 20 points, you let Memphis come all the way back to win those games— That's why you lost this series. Minnesota would have been the surprise of the playoffs if they knocked off the Memphis Grizzlies, as well as the Memphis Grizzlies were the surprise team in the Western Conference being the second seed in the NBA. So Minnesota got knocked off because of those two games where they had a 20-point lead going into the second half and coughed it up.
4: For Minnesota's future, that'll be either a learning experience or define who they are, depending on how this core ends up going, because that's three 10-point leads and two 20-point leads in Game 3 and Game 5, and then three 10-point leads in all three of those games, including Game 6. Golden State-Denver series, yeah, it was inevitable that was going to happen. Joker played his heart out. Hats off to him. Already an MVP finalist, could very much win it again with the season he put together. Golden State, they had just a lot of depth, and their young players emerged finally. Jordan Poole was the best player in that series for Golden State, the whole series, and Gary Payton's son played a great closeout game. A lot of depth, but Memphis has a lot of depth, too. I think they had the second-best depth in the Western Conference after the Suns. They have a lot of young talent on that team. I love what they did with those comebacks, too, and I'm curious to see, with Golden State blowing out Denver the way they did, how battle-tested they really are in comparison to Memphis, who had all those comebacks and all that depth. I think Memphis could definitely win that series. I absolutely believe it, too,
3: but they have to get an early lead, because they do have home field advantage. Memphis is one of the best home teams in the NBA. Golden State also a very good home team, so if it comes down to game number seven, it definitely bodes well for the Memphis Grizzlies, who had a fantastic year. John Morant, Has really jumped all the point guards in the NBA. And you want to ask me who the best point guard in this series is? It's John Morant. I know everybody keeps thinking that Steph Curry, the best guard in this series will be John Morant, who has been probably the best player in the playoffs right now. Averaging almost 30 points a game. He's averaging, what, eight or nine assists a game. He's rebounding. He's dunking over people. I mean... He's shooting at a clip. He's been the best player in the playoffs, besides maybe Chris Paul. And the Joker, I would say. And the Joker. I mean, if he plays like that against the Golden State Warriors, Golden State's going to have to double-team him. They're going to have to take John Moran out of the game. If they can't take John Moran out of the game, they're going to have a huge problem because – this Memphis Grizzly team is a very good defensive team, and they'll be able to do things that Denver couldn't do because Murray and Porter wasn't
4: there. Not only that, you're going to have to deal with a team that's eight or nine deep, too, with Memphis. They have a lot of good options. They do so many different starting lineup combinations, too, so it's not like you can just even get settled into one thing. They have Steven Adams, who's a good young big man, coming off the bench. That's how deep they are. Jaron Jackson, Dylan Brooks, Xavier Tillman's played well in this series. They got Brandon Clark as a a guy off the bench. Kyle Anderson's a good veteran. They have so much guys they could rely on. And John Morant is a guy that, I know he's been scoring a lot overall, but he's still being fat past first too and getting those guys involved. Really good open looks that have allowed these guys to succeed. And that's going to be a big test for Golden State too. And also the size of Memphis too. When you look at a guy like Brooks who's six foot eight, Tillman, Jaron Jackson who's a phenomenal defensive player. That's going to be a big test for them too because they don't have James Wiseman and really only have one pure center on Kevon Looney. So that'll be the two big tests for Golden State. If their depth can outplay Memphis's and if their size could do well too because Memphis has a lot of good things going for them too and now they are battle tested look at all those comebacks that's Mm. something that a young team doesn't do overnight and they showed a lot Eastern Conference is
3: pretty simple Miami knocks off Atlanta not surprising I mean Olin Depot Jimmy Butler was hurt the last uh, few games he wasn't 100% healthy Olin Depot took over and now he's 100% healthy now you're talking about arguably the the most depth in all of the NBA Mm. and throughout the playoffs in Miami a lot of people pick Miami to go to the NBA championship because of the depth that they have. And now that they have an offensive talent like Victor Depot, it's scary what Miami could be going into that Philadelphia series. And now Joel B could be out a significant amount of time, could be out for the whole series. The best big man in the playoffs. You're looking at a Philadelphia team that's going to be depending on James Harden to do <laughs> more than he has done in the playoffs for the Houston Rockets and the Brooklyn Nets. That is scary to think when you're
4: going against arguably the team that has the most depth in this series. And the best defense, too. Have fun with the Miami perimeter defense, swarming James Harden for a guy that's already inefficient as it is in the playoffs. So, yeah, good luck with that if you don't get Joel Embiid back. back. Yeah, this is the other team that's nine deep, though. Great coaching, phenomenal defense. And, yes, they get Oladipo back. They're going to get Butler back in this series, too. But they haven't even have to rely on them all the time either. Jimmy Butler was great the first three games, and then even game four they kind of used him more as a a facilitator type, and it was the depth that got it going in that game. And then game five, it was Oladipo that emerged, really, with 23 points. So, they have so many just different options and ways to beat you. Good luck, Sixers. Good luck, Doc Rivers, your favorite coach.
3: Ah, yeah, well, Doc Rivers looks (laughs) like he'll lose another series uh, against a team that is just that much better than him, and better coached.
4: Okay, you can't can't blow a 3-1 lead if you don't win three games.
3: Philadelphia completely tore Toronto, and they lost a player by torching him. An orbital bone hurting that kind of injury, that's that's your eye. He's either going to have to wear a mask and play with the pain. I don't know if he's going to be able to, if he can even see out of his eye. I don't expect Joel Embiid to be out for the whole series. I expect him to play, if especially if they fall behind 2-0, against Miami. Yeah. I can't see that Joel Embiid doesn't show up in this series and try to play with the injury that he has, but he also has concussion protocol. He might not be back for a while, and this series could be very much over before it even starts. Yep. As far as the Milwaukee-Boston series, Milwaukee completely torched the Chicago Bulls, and a Chicago Bulls team that at one point was the number one seed in the Eastern Conference fell apart in the second half of the season, really just didn't wake up. DeRozan, again, didn't show up in the playoffs, and, and that's why as much as he was an MVP candidate half the season, it shows you why nobody wanted to bring him in as a free agent. Everybody was watching the Knicks. You should have brought him in. You should have brought him in. The Lakers, too. <laughs> He's another Julius Randle, a guy that just doesn't show up in the big games. And, and that's no offense to him. DeRozan's a great player. There are players that can do it in big games, and there are players that can't. He's just one of those players that can't. Milwaukee, they lost Middleton, and they still won that series. Hands down, it wasn't even close. And, right. and I think going into the series against Boston, Boston has the most depth. But Milwaukee has by far the best player in this class. Now Tatum and Jalen Brown, if they both play at the top of their games, that can withstand the Greek freak. But the way they've played ever since they lost Middleton, and Middleton will not play in this series at all. He's out for this series. They won't see Middleton back until the Eastern Conference Finals. If they get through this series against Boston, Milwaukee wins it all. I think with all the pressure that the freak has on him, Boston's the best defensive team in the NBA. They were by far the best defensive team in the United They have the Defensive Player of the Year on their team. If they can beat Boston, who is the number 2 seed, they should beat Miami because they will have Middleton back. As the Miami Heat has the most depth throughout the Eastern Conference, I think Milwaukee has more offense. They have more firepower than any one of these teams. So I think Milwaukee, if they get out of this round, which I believe they will, I think it'll go seven games. I think Milwaukee because they have the better player, and I believe what he's going to do, and I think he's the MVP of the league again this year, I think Milwaukee should beat the Boston Celtics in seven games.
4: This is kind of like what I was saying about the Warriors and the Grizzlies. The Celtics are the depth team, they have all the talent because it's healthy right now, but but the Bucks, the way they did it, they show the, how battle-tested they are, kind of like what I was saying with the Grizzlies with all those comebacks, and winning with a lot of the new depth that has emerged, Grayson Allen, Pat Connaughton, Wesley Matthews, guys like that that either they thought they were done or just like unknown guys in the NBA, so they're doing it with that. So if they can... If they can buckle down and beat the Celtics like that and win in a battle-tested way, it definitely proves a lot. I would probably still lean Celtics in six just with their defense, but I I agree with you. If it goes to a seventh game, I like Milwaukee too. And Milwaukee's depth is still strong enough where it's not going to be just reliant on Giannis either. So that's going to make that series very interesting. I think they got the better coach, and they still have a good defense too. So I don't think the Celtics are going to be able to coast like they did against the Nets. Plus, they're going to be a little rusty too. They haven't played in a while. They swept the Nets last Monday. And then Mm -hmm. haven't played since. I don't know if they'll lose, but I still think it's going to be a hard fought series. Speedy, what do we got? When we come back, we got Moneyline Mania here on the Weekend Crunch. We
3: are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co host, Speedy PD. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only. On 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. We had a great guest just a little while ago. We were talking to Chris Milholland, and now we have our Moneyline Mania team with chaz
0: and the crew this is money line mania
1: with chaz and the crew
3: chazzy 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 and our money line mania team what is going on my friends
1: I like Chaz and the crew, but there's a lot of them. we got a lot of guys, and as we get closer to Wake and Bake, we're going to have all of them. When I'm on a hiatus, I, I kind of back away from everything because, Excuse as me. you know, creating audio files and video files and following sports and handicapping, it's all work. And so I watched a lot of movies. You know what I watched? I watched From Here to Eternity for the very first time. <laughs> You're a piece of work, man. You have some personality. How old is that movie, right? It's and, an old I movie. never watched it, and it was a really, really good movie. It was like the bazillion academy awards but it was a really good movie i'd never watched it before
3: well it's a woman's movie that's why
1: (laughs) i was with my wife and probably why we enjoyed it for me guys it's the beginning of derby week so i look at things literally if you got four legs i care if you don't got four legs don't talk to me so day 21st we're looking at our first Wake and Bake of the new season. These guys are both three parts. They basically both have their own show. That's the thing. You all get your own show. It's just one-on-one. So it's pretty cool. We'll be talking a little bit of everything. But right now, with John from GMF Sports, you're starting into baseball. You got a couple weeks in, a dozen games or so. What are you seeing for the future this summer?
2: A lot of these pitchers are starting to get into form just because we just had the kind of shortened spring training. I'm impressed by the way the Yankees have started. Anthony Rizzo is just been on fire swinging the bat so i'm just hopeful that that core can stay healthy also i'm surprised about the trending unders a lot of games have been trending under which is surprising especially considering the state of some of these bullpens so i'm impressed by the yankees so far i like the way they're playing
1: let's talk about the game sunday we got two nba games just like your opinion on both of them quick
2: turnaround for that warriors memphis grizzlies game probably gonna actually have to go with golden state here just because of the short turnaround. And Steph Curry has been playing phenomenal. The way Golden State runs their offense, where they just completely run you up and down the court, those backdoor screens. If you take a look at what they did to Denver, Jokic was completely exhausted. By the time that third or fourth quarter comes around, from following all these backdoor cuts running up and down, I have to think that Golden State is going to continue that trend. We've seen Memphis, you know, get down by double digits numerous times throughout the series of Minnesota. But if this is the case with Golden State, they're not going to be able to come back with Golden State. So I'm going to have to lean Golden State in that situation. And then we're going tomorrow, Fox versus the Celtics. The winner of this is going to be your East Coast representation for the nba finals boston's playing at home i was big on boston during that first round versus the nets where they swept the board with them which was a little surprising and i'm actually going to stick with the boston celtics here game one i think they're going to take game one and they're going to continue kind of the roll. it's probably going to go six or seven games could go either way but i'm going to go with boston here
1: the first series did you bet a lot of them
2: No, not at all. I've been very selective with the NBA. It's tricky throughout the regular season and especially here during the playoffs. So my my units as far as betting is probably considered half units for NBA being very selective in the spots.
1: Ironically, remember how we were talking about it all year with the crazy swings from quarter to quarter? That's over now. We're in the playoffs, but no, it's happening again.
2: It happened, I believe, three times during that Memphis-Minnesota series where you know Minnesota had double-digit leads, and we're talking double-digit leads late third quarter, fourth quarter and they just completely collapsed and that's astonishing in a playoff game especially when Minnesota was home we've seen those big swings during the regular season which have been happening more this year but yeah you're absolutely right to see these major swings double digits down 10 and then they won by six or seven absolutely crazy in
1: the playoffs the funny part about betting on the NBA is that those eight seven and eight seats sometimes they probably shouldn't be there to begin with and I think that's why you see it. I and mean, you know, I've always told you guys from the beginning of the year you've known me. Wake me up when there's four teams left. And I think this year is gonna be the same.
2: That's kind of why I'm meeting, I think, whoever wins this bucks celtics series is going to be your representation. As far as the Eastern Conference goes, I'm, I'm not too impressed with the with the way Philadelphia looks so far. The Milwaukee bucks they're the defending champions, so you always got to put them up there until somebody beats them, and I think the Celtics have the best chance to do that. Boston was extremely hot during the second half of the regular season. Tatum has been unbelievable, Marcus Smart, defensive player of the year, two of the best teams in the Eastern Conference, and I'm looking forward to, to the matchup.
1: It's funny you mentioned you're staying away, From it because I know that on Vegas Insider, uh, Jonathan from San Antonio, if you take his basketball picks up his baseball picks,
0: yeah, just seeing the ball well. I mean, think at the beginning of the year, you get to see a lot of value. I think the uh, books are still trying to make what the line should be. If you look at the Yankee line, they're minus two hundred, but if you take the game. They should have been minus 300. And I think there's a big misconception where people think that when you're taking value, it's got to be an underdog. It has to be a plus money or, hey, I'm getting this even. But sometimes value arises in a minus 200, and you just have to not be afraid to take that. Yesterday I took the run line on that game, but I got minus 120. Minus one 1.5 should have been probably minus 150, minus 160. It was just a huge mismatch. Um, so right now it's a couple weeks in, and I think – the books will adjust. The lines are going to start getting a little sharper. Seeing the ball well, and it's the unders, I think to me is crazy, but once it warms up, it's going to start warming up. You know, it, it's been kind of cold in Chicago and Boston and New York. They're playing games in the 40s and, you know, 45 degree weather. Summertime, it's going to be a nice, ripe, humid 90 degrees, and the balls will start flying out of there a little bit more.
1: You look at the outliers of baseball season in the beginning and at the end, there's freaking snow. Do you ever hit something with yeah. a handle? When it's cold out, man, that hurts all the way up to your elbows. There's no doubt about it.
3: Alright, Warriors at Grizzlies game number one. You know what's interesting? What do the Grizzlies need to do to win this series? Obviously, John Moran's athletic ability, I think he's the better guard in this series. I know everybody keeps talking about Steph Curry and Poole, who's been fantastic all season long. He's taken over for Steph Curry from the injury and then going into the playoffs, he was the best player in the first series. This particular series, I think the Grizzlies are the better defensive team, they're the more athletic team, and I think they have more depth than the Golden State Warriors. Now, Golden State with Wiggins, Clay Thompson, gives them a different dimension that they didn't have last year, and that's why they didn't really get far in the playoffs. They had the playing game. Going into this series, it's really going to depend on who wants it more, who's the more athletic team and I do believe in game number one, being that the Grizzlies at home, the Grizzlies are one of the best home teams in the NBA. I like the Grizzlies in this game. I think they're the more athletic team. I think that it's going to take a little while for them to understand how to defend John Morant because of his ability to move in the pick and roll. He's one of the best. Give me John Morant and the Grizzlies in game number one to take a one Nil lead. I do want to go into some of the player props. In game number one, John Morant to score 25. Bet the over, negative 20. I'm gonna say John Morant scores 25 or more in this game. Bet on the over on this. Jordan Poole, 18 and a half. I believe that Jordan Poole will score more than 18 and a half in this game. So bet on the over. Steph Curry, 27 and a half. Bet on the under. Bucks celtics Well, obviously, the Celtics being the home team, a lot of people are predicting that the Celtics will win this game. Now, the interesting thing going into this game is, what are they going to do defensively against the Boston Celtics when Tatum and Jalen Brown are on the court? And especially the way, obviously, the Defensive Player of the Year has played Marcus Smart, who played very well against the Brooklyn Nets. I think they'll be able to shut down Marcus Smart, and Marcus Smart is probably at some point going to be able to defend the Greek freak because of the way he presses tall centers and the big power forward. What's interesting about this game is the Boston Celtics are at home. I expect the Boston Celtics to win game number one. Now, I don't think the Boston Celtics will win this series, but game number one, being that they're going into the game with all the time off, expectations that a lot of people believe that this could be Boston's year. I really think the Boston Celtics will win game number one against the Milwaukee Bucks. I still think the Milwaukee Bucks have to prove to me that they can get a secondary offensive game from one of the other guys besides the Greek freak. I believe Boston's going to keep Giannis on the outside. If the Celtics can keep him on the outside and he can't get into the paint, it's going to be not smooth sailing For the Milwaukee Bucks in game number one. But I have the Celtics winning game number one. Giannis, he's expected to score 30 and a half. Expect him to score on the under in this game. Jalen Brown, 23 and a half. I would say 23 and a half is more like it. Jason Tatum, 30 points or more. I say Jason Tatum scores less than that. I would say Jason Tatum, 27 or less in this game. So bet on the under on that. Uh, Marcus Smart, 14 and a half. Bet on the over. 30 points is so
1: many points, isn't it?
3: We know the Boston Celtics are the best defensive team in basketball. They've been the best in the second half of the season. Great defense, not only for Marcus Smart, team defense. They're playing well on the perimeter. They're the best backcourt defense in all of the NBA. And going into this game, even though the strength of Milwaukee is not their backcourt, it's their frontcourt... I think they're going to be able to contain Drew Holiday, especially in game number one. They're going to have to figure out how they're going to be able to move the pick and roll through Giannis. For them to win this series, but I do believe that they have a very well-rounded coach. I think he's the better coach, and he's got the more experience. And they're the champions. So until Boston proves that they can knock off the Milwaukee Bucks, I still think Milwaukee wins in seven games. But give me the Celtics in game
0: number one. Jonathan, did we hear your NBA plays? Give me the Grizzlies. I think I think they have what uh, the momentum on their side. If you're the Grizzlies, you kind of look at that series and say, man, we kind of got dominated they should have lost the series and when i looked at it i was on minnesota every game so i took three bad beats up double digits three times in the fourth quarter still can't close it out worst coach in the nba but i think that they're going to come into this series they get the home game first. It's a statement game. that Curry's been playing well, but I think he's also banged up. And I just think that right now, John Morant and Desmond Bain, uh, they just have more to play for and kind of a chip on their shoulder. It uh, goes against what I thought because uh, my preseason, I did put a 9-1 to Western Conference championship play in on the Warriors. And I put in a 13-1 NBA championship on the Warriors just because... I love the value. Memphis is just the better team right now. For the Boston game, this is the one game where I want to take the I still believe that Giannis is the best player in the league. Kind of got his free throws under control a lot better than he was last year. And the one piece for me is Chris Middleton. I think he means a lot. And without him, you're expecting a lot of guys on the bench to get 15 to 20 a game, and I don't know if you can count on that. When you look at Boston, I think they played so well against the Nets. I just don't think the Nets were that good. I think they had too much baggage. They brought in Ben Simmons. That was a mistake. Kyrie Irving, most of the home games this season. I think they were just in turmoil. And the Nets chanting, we want Boston added fuel to the fire. I don't think it's going to be as a dominant of a performance. I could see this going six to seven games. Game one, I'm going to be laying the points with the Celtics. I just think they are healthier, and they don't need their role players to score 20. If Pritchard comes off the bench and scores 10, they'll win the game. So go ahead and lay the points on the Celtics.
1: Yeah, when I look at that game, what jumped out at me is that all four times that they played this year, they scored more than 220, and the line is 220. So I'm going with the over. When you look at some of those games back in December, that's... A long time ago, but right now, Milwaukee's scoring some points. Boston's scoring some points. I like the over. They have the same exact record in the regular season. You know you got two really good teams, but in, in the second game, the last five road games for Golden State, every single one of them, the team has scored more than the time before. I'm looking at the totals again. They're scoring 109 points. Golden State is an 8 of 9. Memphis is scoring 109 points in 9 of 10. 109 and 109 is 218. I'm going to hope for the over on that game.
0: So on totals for me, that's the one thing in the playoffs that you'll get is you could have three quarters could be just dynamite. But when it's five minutes in a close game, you're going to slow it down. You're going to take the time. You're going to make sure you get a good shot. Unless you're Chris Finch, the worst coach in the NBA of the Timberwolves, you're not going to do that. But everybody else is going to try and get the best shot they're going to slow it down. They're going to try to get less possessions. And that's one thing where I I don't really bet totals in the playoffs because I don't know what I'm going to get. just a situation where the crowd gets in it. You make one shot. Each shot becomes bigger. You're going to slow it down. And that's kind of where I stay away from my overs. But, yeah, based on trends, these teams have been scoring enough to get to that over. I just hate it because when I need points and they want to take 23 seconds of the shot clock, it's it's a frustrating watch. So, I'm going to stay away from any totals to tomorrow.
1: John from GMF, if you're betting a total in an NBA game, you have to be paying attention to doing it live action because you might end up having four or five bets in the middle in it and having a 16 Memphis way high on those overs. And that's part of it, Jonathan, too. It's not necessarily that that other over number is tough to get. It's whether or not it's a valuable number. Like you said, if the value is there, you think the line should be 227 and it's 220, you got no choice but to bet the open. I love when they start slow and you go to covers. Covers is saying the final score is going to be 204, the opening line is 226, and the book is showing 224. And all of a sudden, yeah. then you have to start paying attention to those numbers because if you end up going with 10 plays in a in a game because you like the total – and you go seven and three, it doesn't really matter. You just say, hey, I won this much money on this game. And then you move to the next game. Because these games, you're going to get into teams where you'll get by six, seven, whatever it is, over or under, you're going to get them in a row. When the NBA has got the best teams left, it's some of the best sports betting there is.
2: This round of playoffs right here coming up is going to be fantastic, I think. We're going to see some excellent games, possibly almost every series go to six or seven. Oh, it's
1: so different, isn't it, watching the games? Because right now I'm in a hiatus, so I'm not really betting a lot of the, the games. I'm kind of just watching. In my heart, I know what I would like or what I would be doing or what people are doing or where the public's on, and so you get to watch a game knowing that these guys are getting their hairs ripped out. You
2: know, the ups and downs, the misses, they put
1: yourself in those better shoes. If Jonathan is still pissing and moaning about the coach today, how do you think it was for his wife last night?
0: I was with my wife watching this game last night and I was having a couple of drinks. I coach middle school girls basketball. I had a better out of bounds, out of a timeout play than the Timberwolves ran all night yesterday. Now I've lost a lot of bets, right? I mean, if you've done this for a while, you're going to lose a lot. You're going to win a lot. Up 13. They were up 16 game three. Lost by nine. Up double ditched last game. Couldn't finish it. This game, I'm like, they're up 13. And I literally looked at her I'm like, well, here it comes. How are you? You up thirteen, and the first thing you do is take a three-point, twenty-eight-foot shot contested with twenty seconds left on the shot clock. Just makes no sense. And they go on a run. Now they cut it to three. Okay, good coach move. Call timeout. Stop the run. I'm thinking off the timeout, you're going to have a set play. That's what every coach should do is try to stop a run. You're going to take your timeout. You're going to come up with a set play. They played one-on-one basketball. with a twenty-foot step-back contested two-point shot with four people on the perimeter, nobody crashing the boards. That's just simple basketball that any other coach would have made. I think right now what I've seen on a side note, worst coach is Chris Finch and Doc Rivers is right there. You're up 30. Why isn't it in the game? That game, I, I think I money lined the Sixers. That didn't affect me. But if you're a Sixers fan, you're on to the next round. Why is he still in
1: the game? The Derby stuff. Now, John, I, I've talked to you about it, but Jonathan, I'm not sure. Do you play the horses often? I do play the horses. I listen to people. Uh, I don't
0: follow horse racing year-round. I go to the Derby and I pretend like I know what I'm talking about, but I kind of listen and pick and choose. And for me, I love value, figure the payout, I'm going to sprinkle a bunch on what I can get paid on. So one thing I don't do is bet favored. Uh stick to two, three horses, box them, parlay them, do something like that. But that's kind of how I bet my horses. It's really fun. We do have a horse track here in San Antonio. We don't have any like the big races, but we have a place I can go and place my bets and watch the races. I just don't really take my own horses.
1: You've told us stories of following guys, and what do you think Sports Betting Weekly is, man? You listen to this show for an hour every week. You hear from a handful of people, and they all know what they're talking about. They all give you winners. Why do you handicap? Do you know how much time I spent this morning? Because I'm not in sports mode right now. I actually take, whenever I'm on a hiatus from the show, I kind of get away from it. Not because I don't love sports. I pay attention, but I got a wife and kids. And wives and kids, nobody told me that when you have wives and kids that you're going to have responsibilities. I thought you just had wives and kids, but they really do suck up a lot of time, don't they? I know, Jonathan, you got a new one on the way. West's wife is pregnant as well. We're going to have two babies, John, from GMF that we got to buy presents for. John, from GMF Sports, do you plan on playing the Derby heavy or are you just going to have fun with it?
2: I'm, I'm just going to have fun with it. I grew up on the East Coast in New York and I grew up actually betting the ponies running into the OTBs. So that's really what kind of kicked off my gambling fascination back in the early days. I haven't really kept track or followed any of the horses, trainers, and but I'm going to play it. I'm, I'm going to put in some exactas. I'm going to put in some trifectas. Funny story, last year, my wife actually hit the trifectas from the derby, so I might even give her a couple dollars and let her see if she can have another crack at it again, because she got extremely lucky last year. So
1: I do um, remember that, and of course, you know, the last couple of years, we had that one horse that got disqualified, and then we had another one get disqualified after like nine months, and the horse was already <laughs> City dead so horse racing definitely needs a little help because it's trying to be its own worst enemy you know but here's what i got i do it every year i show john and wes on our show Arrow the data file i have a data file that goes back from like 2007 so for every single derby since 2007 i keep the, the records and you know what we we cash a lot of tickets on derby day but i don't really look for the winner jonathan made a great point the favorite wins a third of the time. So two-thirds of the time, the favorite's going to lose this race. But this is not just a normal horse race. This is a 20-horse race. And that means that the favorite probably doesn't even win a third of its time in the derbies. It's, it's much, much lower than that. So I'm looking for pick fours for the fourth race ending at the derby. And I'm looking for super effective. So I don't really care who wins. I care if that number is on my ticket. We go to Del Mar every year so if you get a chance and, you, and you're in southern california head over to Del Mar. it's really easy to get in and out of Del Mar for off track betting not as much when there's live racing there and jonathan you know you know it because you were just talking about it it's it's nice when you can sip in i mean i miss the otbs john from new york you know when i was in connecticut we'd hang out all day i told you we hang out in the park lot all day so here's what i've got top point i have is epicenter and messier they're tied and then I got Moe Donegal, Smile Happy, Tis the Bomb, White Abario, and Zandon. They're tied in the second spot. And then Classic Causeway, T- Taba, and Tawny Port are tied in the third. But the one that I'm going to tell you who's my long shot play of the day is Barber Road. Because all Barber Road does is finish in the money. The horse doesn't know anything more. And right now, it's got to be 20 to 30 to 1. So... If Barber Road is in the second, third, or fourth spot on Derby Day, you're probably going to see me more drunk than normal, guys. <laughs> I do the social media. Social media and drinking, to me, they don't go hand in hand. you got to remember to leave, to, to not walk away. How many guys do you walk away and you leave the freaking ticket in the window? I've had that happen to me where I found the guy's ticket. And I look around and I try to find the guy, but if he's gone, find money.
0: It's what I'm is. You're not going to find them in that crowd. When I go, it's so many no, no, people, no. It, it, and uh, it's just crazy. The
1: sad part is, I mean, if it's a lot of money, it's $19. I'm not going to worry about it. And and if you don't pay attention, you don't even know. Because what happened is that person did take out their ticket. So you stick your ticket in, and maybe the number's off a little bit, but you figure it's your math. But if it's off $600, you cancel that. You do the right thing. You find the guy. You say, hey. Somebody left a ticket in here because this is way much more money than I was supposed to have. You know, you do the right thing in life, it yeah. tends to come back to you in sports betting.
0: Yeah, I will say horse, the one thing with horse betting for me is, like I said, I like to get the value, right? So give me the most money for my buck. The problem with horse racing is if I'm like, hey, I love this, I'm going to get 100 bucks to win 1,000, like I'll, I'll risk that, love it. But by the time the horse kicks off, some other people think the same I do. And now, this thousand dollar horse is three hundred, and so that's the one thing with horse racing is your odds will change, and you have no idea until it kicks off what the odds were. So sometimes I'm thinking like, oh, a lot of value. By the time the horse race kicks off, I'm still getting good value, but it's not what I bet it at. That's the one thing with other sports. If I take an underdog, that line's not moving. I'm locked in. I wish I knew more because I just bet because it's fun. You know, I like going to the track, having a few beers, and. Seeing if I can turn some money into more money.
1: John can walk into a book with twelve dollars and hit one of the poker machines. Most people don't do that. Most people, <laughs> the only way you're going to win a thousand dollars walking into a sports book with twelve bucks is with with the horses. But they they did that. Now I don't know if you knew about this, Arrow and Petey, but in New Jersey, they are trying fixed horse racing odds, fixed odds for the first time. It's it's been approved. Uh, and they're trying to roll it out. Nothing worse than you, you bet a horse at twelve to one in the morning. You go to work, you hear he won, and he paid seven twenty. That's kind of crazy. So it's just in New Jersey. It's officially passed in New Jersey. It's very common in, in the European markets because you know what? We talked to Paulo, and Paulo's from Greece. And you know when you're in Europe, the sports betting is this. Like our grandfather, they've been doing it so much longer. They know so much more than we do, and they figured out how to do it well. So they they have place pools and things of that nature where you know if it wins, that's what you're going to get. But a lot of times it's still based on that price that's on the board, and you don't know the price that's on the board until the race is off. And sometimes you still don't know because a lot of the racetracks only go to 99. And one time I hit a horse that was 99 to 1. But it was really
0: 116-1. It's just a crazy sport. There a, so I live in Texas. We have a casino there called Tamarack. It's uh, right there. Like if you're going to Tahoe, it's like that last casino. If you want to place a bet before you go skiing. And they have a horse. Every casino's got a horse book. And a guy places a bet. Now in small print, right on the counter, the max they'll pay for horse betting is a $30,000 win. He didn't know that. Because the ticket that he put in, if he had put it at another casino, was a $950,000 win. He hits. He's expecting that goes in. They're only paying him 30. What
1: I did is I have the NHL from when we started talking about it to now and looking at, at, at what the moves were to see if those moves are jumping out at me. And most of them are like the Rangers went from 1800 to 1100 But when we were talking about them, John, they right. They were battling to get in the playoffs, and then they had a nice little run to finish the season, but at a, at, a, at 11 to 1, John, do they have a shot at the Rangers? I don't think so.
2: It's going to be an interesting series, I I think, to see how they match up here in the playoffs, because I, I think they, they put a tremendous amount of, of uh, energy and effort just, you know, playing down the stretch here. You also have to remember they're playing some really, really good Quality teams in that in that whole eastern conference
1: you mentioned john you mentioned uh, milwaukee as a rainy chap you always got to respect them Tampa Correct. bay went from nine to one to ten to one yeah
2: yep yep right. i i mean that's i mean they're back to back and possibly could put another one uh toronto's also on that conversation they played very well uh even though you know they're up there in canada but they have an excellent home home record You know, don't forget about Carolina. Don't forget about the Panthers. That that whole Eastern Conference slate is just so stacked up. And obviously, with those teams, you have to put the Rangers towards the bottom of those teams. Um, You you know, you could put the Lightning, the Leafs, the Hurricanes, all all in those top categories of teams. So it's going to be great. Especially
1: when you have to score to win, they do not care how long they skate for. They will skate. Remember, they had when the Kings. One of the years I think the Kings were in it, they had six and seven overtimes. It was just insane.
3: And that, ladies and gentlemen, was Moneyline Mania with Chaz and the crew, the two Johns. If you haven't checked out this segment of Moneyline Mania, well, you should be keeping up with the stars here. Because these guys are as good as anybody in the business. Check them out every single week on our segment, Moneyline Mania. Chaz and his team. Chaz, thank you for joining us. Always be cashing. Chaz and the crew. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll get into some baseball conversation. The MLB, the Mets, no hit. Yes, have a no hitter. And it's not just one pitcher. It's the whole squad. So when we come back, we will get into the Mets. We'll get into the Yankees and everything that's going on in the MLB when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, as you know, this is the weekend crouch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports E Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. The Yankees are winning, the Mets are winning, and right now the two best teams in the American League and the National League are the Yankees and the Mets. Let's get into the Mets because playing so well, if they're not uh, fighting on the field with the Cardinals (laughs) and, and all that other stuff that happened this week, which was very, very fun, thank God nothing escalated any further than that on Friday night the Mets had one of the best pitching games they've ever had as an organization and on Friday night the Mets pitched a team no hitter with McGill on the mound and by the way he has pitched very very well he's looked really really good he had one bad game he was on the mound almost five and a half innings and pitched a sensational game a team no hitter for something that, let's be honest, the Mets, remember their no with Johan Santana. Beltran got that hit, but the umpires missed on that. and they There did. was no yeah. replay. I think if you sit back and, and you realize what the Mets have done on Friday night was something very special, Speedy.
4: Yeah, yeah, it was a special night for the Mets. You could definitely tell they were doing it against a tough offense, too, with the Phillies. You could definitely tell that it was, they were battling the whole way. The Phillies weren't making it easy, too. They were having good at-bats. Tyler McGill gets it done for the five, first five innings, struck out five. Then it was Drew Smith. After that, one and two thirds innings, struck out four. Who's really been probably the best all-around relief pitcher for the Mets this season so far. Uh, the ex-Yankee finally comes through for something. Joely Rodriguez in the seventh inning, and then Seth Lugo finally comes through, and Edwin Diaz closing it out. It was definitely a special moment for the Mets fans. Yeah, you have to love what they were able to witness. Whoever was there at the game, but just Mets fans in general. They they haven't they finally get a no-hitter without controversy. Yeah, that was the Johan one should have been not a no-hitter because it was a fair ball. This one, there's no controversy like that they can finally celebrate one. Yes, it's a team no-hitter, but that's the new norm with the way these pitchers go. Just the way Tyler McGill will go. It last doesn't matter. Innings. It yeah. doesn't
3: matter if it was a team or one player doing it. It's a sensational mm-hmm. thing. You should be happy if you're a Met fan. It's something to watch. The Mets are 15-6 and six right now. They're playing as good a baseball as any team in, right now in the major leagues. It's not just in the National League, in the majors. And to me, what we have seen is they're hitting power. They're hitting for average. They're playing defense. I mean, yesterday, the dive and catch by Nimmo was sensational. Yes. What they're doing right now is just fun baseball. That's what you want to see. When you watch Steve Cohen spend the money that they have spent over the last couple of years, and you bring in Max Scherzer, you bring in Marte, you bring in all these other players and fill them into spots with some of the players like Pete Alonso and Brendan Nimmo, this is a fun team to watch. And I expect this to keep on going as the season progresses. I believe the Mets are the best team in the National League, better than the Dodgers. See, the thing, the Dodgers have more fun firepower than the Mets. But I think the Mets are the better all-around team. I think this bullpen's a lot better. I think they have the better manager. I always thought Dave Roberts was overrated. I never thought that he was a good manager. I remember when Joe Torre was there and then Don Manningly was there. They never succeeded and Dave Roberts somehow get over the hump and wins a championship. I'm very surprised, but they also put a team together like that. They have the best farm system in baseball. They have arguably the best lineup in baseball. They have the best rotation in baseball. Even with that, I think the Mets are the better team. They play like a team. Pete Alonso's their leader. Uh, Lindor's hitting this year. You should be very ecstatic. Khan, and... Escobar. They're all filling in the spots that the Mets needed them to do that. Marte is hitting. I think he's got like 15 RBIs yeah. already. And if you're a Met fan, you should be ecstatic right now for what this team is.
4: And they're doing it in so many different ways, too. They could do it with offense. They could do it with pitching. They could do it with defense, finally. I would have thought I would ever hear that. They're winning in close games, too, and they're hitting with two outs, finally, showing their battle-tested in so many ways now. Now they finally get the no-hitter, obviously, the, the big name to showcase for that, too, and finish that off. But they're doing it in so many ways, And the Mets really don't have many flaws right now at all in this team, both talent-wise and, like you were saying, just baseball concept-wise. They're really doing a little bit of everything for once, which you never see out of the New York Mets. And then there's the Yankees. They're right now the best defensive team in baseball.
3: Who would have thought – they were one of the worst teams and I said this in the offseason. Everybody was taking shots at Brian Cashman. Man, man, man. Brian didn't do anything. Bah, 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 bah. Anthony Rizzo is as good as anybody in baseball. If the season were to end today, Anthony Rizzo is the MVP of the American League. But this team defensively has been unbelievable. They're infield, even put moving Gleyber Torres to second base, and DJ LeMay, you know, back and forth with Gleyber Torres at second base, and DJ's playing third base, and Donaldson, who hasn't really shown up offensively yet. Donaldson has really disappeared offensively, but defensively, he's played very well. This team has been by far the best defensive team in the American League and the best team in defensive team in baseball. And they're getting pitching now. And their rotation's starting to fill in. And Cortez has been fantastic all Masty season. Nester. He's been absolutely fantastic. I mean, his ERA right now is 1.31. I mean, it, it's ridiculous. I, I mean, right now, he's a Cy Young candidate. I mean, who would have thought... I mean, now Garrett Cole has pitched well in his last couple of games. You've seen Garrett Cole starting to figure things out. Uh, You have obviously a guy that hasn't pitched in, what, two years? In Savarino, that's pitched well in almost every single start. He really has been incredible. And, and and Montgomery, he's the only one that still has to figure things out. He did pitch well in his last game. He coughed up a two nothing lead. He gave up a home run, but they still won the game and he still went six and a half, seven innings. So they're starting to get timely pitch. And this bullpen is by far the best bullpen in baseball right now. A week and a half ago when we were talking about it, ERA was two point four, one four. Now it's got I think it's down to like two oh eight. And if they could stay healthy and and obviously Aaron Boone doesn't wear this bullpen out throughout the season. To go into the playoffs with this efficiency in their bullpen speedy could be detrimental to the Yankees going further in the playoffs.
4: Best bullpen right now in the American League, second best in all of baseball, and they're doing it with a different identity. They're doing it not with these veteran guys that Aaron Boone has worn out in the past, but they're doing it with a lot of young guys, a lot of guys that were fringe starters in this staff before that are finding new roles in this bullpen. Michael King, Lucas Leckie, guys like that. Schmidt. Clark Schmidt, yep, yep. So you have that combined with some of the other veterans that have been reliable, and somebody like Jonathan Loizaga, who's a good, young, versatile guy. This is the modern Future bullpen. Closing. This is the modern bullpen that the Yankees have needed and one that isn't going to be as injury prone because they're younger players. And Aaron Boone so far has done a good job at not, wearing any one particular player out so far and it seemed like for a while the first week of the season that he was going to do that with Loisaga and then all of a sudden he finds oh there's these other arms here let's make these kind of things work and same thing with the hitters there's really no hitter that's playing any more because the Yankees have the have the depth to make that kind of thing work too they're playing the matchups well they're maneuvering the lineups a lot and guys are hitting because of that Aaron Judge has hit five home runs in the last eight games Yep. He has 22 hits,
3: he's batting 293. remember? in the season when the season started, he was batting 249. Now he's up to 293. He's got 13 RBIs, one stolen base, 14 runs. I think Aaron Judge is going to get a lot of money in the offseason. Maybe not from the Yankees. He could be going elsewhere. He needed a good season. And I I really believe he wants to go home. I think he might take a little bit less money to go back to Anaheim. I I don't think he's going to go to the Dodgers. Grew up over there in the Anaheim area, the Fresno area. So I think that's where he's going to go. I mean, the Anaheim Angels, as everybody knows, has a lot of money. They like to spend their money. Um, So... I think there's going to be a lot of teams opening up their pockets in the offseason. If Aaron Judge is an MVP candidate this year with Anthony Rizzo, who's another fantastic player, right now the Yankees are just hitting. I mean, DJ is hitting 310. I mean, right now DJ is hitting 324 and eight RBIs. I, he's the best hitter for the Yankees right now. He had an off year last year, he right. hit under 300. And that's not yeah. something DJ LeMayo does. He's, he's an all around hitter, he can hit for power, he can hit for average. And, and this year, He's been sensational, and the Yankees got very lucky giving him the money that they gave him and and, and how special he really is. This is a guy, one of the only players in history to hit a to win a batting title in the National League and the American League. And he's a great defensive player. You can put him at second. You can put him at third. You can put him at first. And he, and he can play defensively at any one of those infield positions at the top of his game. So, I mean, Speedy, there's really nothing bad to say about the, the Yankees right now. And, and I do believe... If this team continues doing what they're doing, if they add another pitcher at the trade deadline, they're going to be unstoppable. I I, I think you, you talk about the youth, the youth in their bullpen with King and Schmidt and the players and Luizica. Last year, they were horrible because they were using too many veterans and they were dying down. Remember, they still have Green in their bullpen. Right. Chad Green, who who's a great bullpen arm. So th- this bullpen, who obviously lost Zach Britton for the whole season— I mean, everybody thought that they needed to make significant moves. They made two or three moves to bring in some veterans. They brought in Castro. That's been sensational. I think yep. his ERA uh, on the Yankees is 2 I right. mean Only one bad outing against the Orioles so far this And he's year. 2-0 and as a pitcher, too, by the way, for the Yankees. I mean, I'm sure the Mets are not very excited to see that Castro has been as good as the Yankees thought he was going to be when they made a trade for him. But... Uh, they've been fun. The Yankees have been fun. The Mets have been fun. If you're a sports fan right now in New York, you should be very excited about the Yankees, the Mets, the Jets, the Giants, the Rangers—not the Islanders. Yes, and uh, obviously not the Nets and and uh, not the Nets and the Knicks. The Nets obviously. fans
4: are very scarce anyway, though. So,
3: and obviously the Giants and the Jets, who are very excited, the drafts that they've had, maybe New York sports. Has something to cheer about in the very, very near future. When we come back, Speedy, what do we got? We got some Rangers playoff talk and then some crunch time. Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern time only. On 103.9, the L.I. News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Speedy Petey, I know you're excited for your Rangers. The this, this season is now over, and the Rangers are moving on to the playoffs. Yes, Islander fans, they're not going to be in the playoffs this year. Uh, I expect them to be a much better team and a much different team next year with Barry Trotz. I expect them to take uh, definitely much better steps forward than steps backwards as they had done this year offensively. But uh, the Rangers going into the playoffs, they're one of the hottest teams in hockey. They have arguably the best goalie in the NHL this year. Uh, They have a defensive player of the year again, a Norris Trophy candidate in Fox. And they have one of the best offensive players on the team right now. One of the best offensive players in the league right now on the Rangers. I mean... There's nothing bad to say about this team right now going into the series against Pittsburgh. The only thing that scares me against Pittsburgh is throughout the last 10 years against the Pittsburgh Penguins, they have not bowled well. Against the Penguins in a series in the playoffs.
4: Well, they've yeah they, they've done well in certain instances against the Penguins in the playoffs. The last two they've lost, so yeah, the experience factor will definitely go to the Penguins. They still have their core with Crosby, Malkin, Latang, who have all that experience. They brought in some veterans at the trade deadline too, bringing in uh, bringing in Ricard Raquel, who has a lot of playoff experience with Anaheim. So from that factor, they still have the the edge there. But the Rangers have the depth edge. I think they have just the all around team aspect edge. I think I would give the coaching edge to them, too. Even though I think Sullivan's a good coach, I would say Gallant, what he's done with this new team this year has really been an impressive job. The Rangers have a lot of depth offensively that they've made work with the veterans They got the trade deadline. Andrew Kopp's been a great addition. You got Frank Fertrano, who's been a nice addition as well. And it's also elevated some of the other veteran players that were kind of fringe players before that. Now, the young players are still a bit of a question mark. Capo Alexi Lafreniere, can they finally make their mark? Even Filipinos kind of had a down year for his standards. So, if they can make their mark in the playoffs against the Penguins youngsters, that'll be a big edge for the Rangers in this series. But the star power between Kreider and Panarin, it's there. Will they show up in the playoffs another question. Crider's always been a great playoff player performer for the Rangers. Panarin's kind of been up and down so far in his playoff career, and zabanjad has been very good. So I would lean the Rangers. This is the matchup I wanted the most compared to Washington, compared to Boston, even though I think they would have beaten Washington too. I like this matchup for the Penguins against the Penguins, who aren't a very physical team and are having some goaltender injuries as well now. Jari's going to be playing, but he's going to be playing hurt a lot of the time too, and we've seen him have his trouble in the playoffs as it is. Speedy, let's get into it as we talk and we speak every single
3: week about this segment.
4: It is time for Crunch Time.
1: It's time for Crunch Time. All right,
4: we'll do one for each sport today. We'll start with the NFL draft. Buy or sell. We'll start with the NFL draft. Both Jermaine Johnson and Kayvon Thibodeau will have seven plus sacks. Hit in their rookie year.
3: I buy it. I think Kavon Thibodeau is a sensational player, great pass rusher. We've seen what he's done in college all those years. He might even have more than seven sacks on that defensive side of the ball. And then Jermaine Johnson with, obviously, Klaus... Um, um, Klaus um, Lawson. Lawson, Lawson. I don't know what the hell's wrong with me today. I I, I have stuff on my mind. Um Obviously, with uh, Carl Lawson as as good as he's been and, and what he's done, you know, over the years with Cincinnati, him having his first year as a New York Jet, missing the season with the torn Achilles, I think he's got a lot to prove. And putting Jermaine Johnson on the other side of the the, the field it is definitely going to help, and it's definitely going to open up the field for him. So I absolutely believe Jermaine Johnson's going to have a sensational year as well.
4: I'm going to buy it too. I think it'll be a little harder for Thibodeau, not because he's a worse player, just because you have Jalen Hurts and Dak Prescott are both mobile quarterbacks in that division, whereas the Jets. We only really have like to deal with Josh Allen in that division, with a mobile quarterback too, and Mac Jones aren't really having that kind of thing. And both of them are kind of kind of serve as that opposite type pass rushers too, where they're playing with other talent around them. Thibodeau will probably emerge as the number one throughout the season with Ojalari and then we'll see with Jermaine Johnson with alongside Carlos, But I'll definitely buy they both get seven sacks. All right, buy or sell. The Rangers will beat the Penguins in six games or less.
3: I sell it. I I don't think it's going to happen. I think the Penguins are going to play very well. Sidney Crosby is one of the best players in the NHL. He had a sensational year. Remember, he's a veteran. He's a guy that's been doing it before. When everybody counts the Penguins out, that's when they play the best hockey they possibly can pay, play. So I, I believe the Penguins are going to win this series in seven games. So, no, I do not believe the Rangers are going to beat them in six
4: games. I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy it. I'm, mean, I have Rangers in six. I think the depth will be too much, and the physicality that Gallant brings will be tougher for an older and just not as physical Penguins team. We, you saw the Islanders the, the past two years give the Penguins a lot of fits physically. Now, and the Rangers. Well, they're not the Islanders overall with Barry Trotz style in terms of the defense and the hitting. They still have that kind of style with Gallant. So I'm going to say Rangers in six. I will buy it. All right, buy or sell. The Nets will lose either one of Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving this offseason.
3: I'm going to sell that. I think both players are going to be there next year. I expect it. They're both going to be managing the Nets, too, as Kyrie <laughs> That's says. Right. I'm going to sell it that they're both going to be there.
4: Yeah, I'm going to sell it, too. I think they're going to at least go it out one more year. I know Kyrie Irving could jump teams anytime the way he likes to say things, but I think they'll at least try to go out at least one more year with this Nets team, especially with the underwhelmingness they had this year. They're not going to be able to do much to improve it, but they're going to try. I'm going to sell it as well. All right, last one. One MLB one. Trevor Bauer now suspended for two more years. Is buy or sell? He'll never play baseball again. Never,
3: never. I, I don't know how any team could trust this guy after what we've heard. You know, with this story and and being that 324 games or whatever it is, yeah. I believe it'll be cut down, so he'll get most of his money from the Dodgers. But he's never going to step on a baseball field again. It's a shame. I mean, because he actually won the the situation with that whole court with the court system. Uh, so he's not convicted of anything that he did. But when you hear the stories of what he did to that woman... Uh, it's not a good
4: sign So I
3: no I, I don't think he plays Baseball ever again
4: Yeah I'm going to buy it too I, I just can't, can't imagine Any locker room Trying to take on That kind of character it, Character issues Bringing into that team The Dodgers Who are the best team In baseball The most talented team In baseball Even They don't even want To manage that kind of thing I can't imagine A fringe contender Or a young team Wanting to take that Kind of thing on So I am going to buy it I absolutely believe We will never see Trevor Bauer In baseball Ever again It's
3: a shame A great great arm And, and really His training And his arm arm training and science science of it. it was It's fantastic over there in Cleveland all those years. I, I mean, him and his father, it's just sad. It's yeah, yet it was
4: hypocritical when he mocked the Astros for the spin rate.
3: <laughs> Anyways, that's it for our show, ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to thank Mr. Chris Milholland for joining us. Uh, thank you to Moneyline Mania, Chaz, and the crew every single week of giving us the time and energy to the best handicappers in all of professional sports. And sports. So, if you, you haven't listened to them, listen to Moneyline Mania every single week on the Weekend Crunch. Uh, we'll be back next week with new game- New Craziness here, as always, on one oh three point nine the L I News Radio Network. Until then, this is Errol Marks and Speedy PD saying goodnight. We'll talk to you then. Good night everybody.